You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Hello, hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo here as my co-host. Kyle, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's been an action-packed week in New York sports. Yes, it has been, Tom. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Although I'm not too sure about our fellow New York Jets, well, not fellow, but Jets fans that are uh, mourning the loss of Sam Darnold, maybe. We'll get into that in just a few moments, but Before we get there, remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, on the Anchor as well for our audio and our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. We have some really good stuff out on there, and uh, we got a couple of new shows hitting for the cycle now, airing on Thursdays at 7 and the 3 and D Mondays at 7 p.m. So make sure to check those shows out. And without further ado... Just want to let you all know that our topics tonight will vary. We will start uh, talking about the Jets trading Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. We'll recap some Knicks and Nets talk. We'll talk about the Islanders and the Rangers, the Mets extending Francisco Lindor, the Yankees and their trade today. We'll have James Montefusco come on the show. Looking forward to having him rejoining the squad. And then we will wrap it up with our NFL mock draft 1.0. You are not going to want to miss it. We are are predicting the entire first round of the 2021 NFL Draft, Kyle. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. I'm really looking forward to this, but let's get started. So the Jets have traded quarterback Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers on Monday in exchange for a sixth-round pick in this year's draft and a 2022 second- and fourth-round pick. Kyle, uh, break down this trade for me. What was your initial reaction when you heard this news, and what does this mean for the Jets and the Panthers moving forward? Well, I actually got this news. I was driving yesterday, so I wasn't looking at my phone or anything, and I, I pulled up in my driveway, and my buddy texted me, and he goes, Sam Darnold just got traded. I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, it happened an hour ago. I'm like, what team? The Panthers. I was like, you know what? That's an interesting fit for him, particularly. You know, he's had success with Robbie Anderson, so you know that's a nice fit. He has Christian McCaffrey there, arguably the best versatile running back in football. You have a DJ Moore, who I personally love. I think is one of the most underrated receivers in football. You have Matt Rule there, who did an excellent job in his first year. And what people aren't talking about, he has Joe Brady there as his offensive coordinator. Had a prolific offensive season with the LSU Tigers uh, in 2019, working with Joe Burrow. Made him one of the most prolific, uh, uh, astounding uh, college quarterbacks of all time offensively production wise that's what he's going to from a Adam Gase ridden football team a team with absolutely 
no talent. In fact, the best talent that he had to work with over the course of his three years with the Jets was Robbie Anderson, who's now on the team that he's now back on. When I first saw this trade, the breakdown of it, I was so happy for Sam that he got that second chance because the entire, even forget about the offseason, this entire season, the storyline was he's not going to be there. And I was happy for him to get out of this system and get a fresh new start with a team that's really built up and really just needs that quarterback to be the guy. Because like I said, they have the offensive weapons, they have the line, the defense is young, but it's up and ascending, I think so. And they have plenty of cap space and Kenny, plenty of draft capital to furthermore improve the team. The Jets on the return, I was surprised. I was hearing that they were going to maybe not even get a third round pick for him and they pulled the second, fourth, and a sixth. So that's capital in which they could work with. That second round pick should be a starter. That fourth round pick should be a starter. And a sixth round pick can be a guy that could potentially make the team. So that gives them more capital to work with. But now what the Jets have put themselves in is that second overall pick, which Tom will talk about later, but that's Zach Wilson. That guy better work out. And I get it. Mike McCagnan was the one that drafted Sam Darnold, and they messed up with that. Joe Douglas better get it right with this quarterback. Yep. That's what I think. I agree. I think the Jets set up Sam Darnold to fail. And I remember being on Review and Preview three years ago around this time, back in 2018, and Tommy Mack, former co-host of the show, was saying, the Jets, you better watch out. The Giants better take Darnold, or else the Jets are going to come up and scoop them from right behind, and he's going to be the next best thing since sliced bread. And the Jets set him up to fail. They didn't give him any linemen. He had no weapons. The coaching was not good. It started with Todd Bowles and Adam Gase, and Adam Gase did not have success in Miami. I think, you know, I mean, I don't know how he would have fared out with Robert Salah, and I will never know, but I think having Matt Rule and Joe Brady, two guys who have been very successful at the college level, Sam Darnold not far removed from college at USC, this is a new fresh start for him. It's a little bit of a smaller market where I think there's a lot of less pressure on him to perform. And you brought up, yes, Robbie Anderson is there. They went out and signed free agent tight end Dan Arnold. Christian McCaffrey will be a running back who's coming back off of an injury. McCaffrey's arguably a top three running back in the NFL when healthy. So now you have all these pieces that are falling together. And Sam Darnold is now a Carolina Panther, who I'm kind of shocked that we didn't think about this destination for him in the first place. We were saying teams like Washington. Chicago. Some even said New England. Not once did I hear anybody mention Carolina for Sam Darnold. And it's funny it took until this long for the trade to happen because this all but confirms now that the Jets are taking BYU quarterback Zach Wilson with the number two overall selection. That's where they're heading with this. Uh, I'm about 99.9% sure that's where they're heading with this. But they're saying Wilson's physical might have held up the potential deal. And now they're saying the Panthers are expected to trade Teddy Bridgewater. So we don't know where Bridgewater's going, and we think Zach Wilson's going to the Jets. But do you think Zach Wilson is for sure being picked by the Jets, number two overall? Absolutely. I I would be truly shocked if it's any other quarterback on the board just because of how highly touted he's he's been talked about over the course of the last month plus, and everybody saw his pro day, and it was fantastic. So I would be shocked if he's not the guy – in New York, and it's any of the other, uh, I'm going to say three remaining quarterbacks because Trevor Lawrence at number one of the Jaguars is all but solidified. But I would be shocked. And Tom, you, you said something early before we get to the comment real quick that, you know, we were shocked that the Panthers weren't a team to 
be named. And I thought about that same thing this morning when it, you know, first happened yesterday. I was thinking about it today. And I think the reason why it happened with Carolina is because after the 49er trade to trade up, I think that all but solidified that they weren't going to have one of their picks at quarterback come that eighth overall selection. Because the 49ers moving up to three, switching with the Dolphins, Dolphins we know we're not going to take a quarterback, would have been a long shot. One of those quarterbacks probably would have fallen to that eighth overall selection for the Panthers to then pick up. But having the 49ers trade up, and now we're hearing that Atlanta may want to move out of that spot, or maybe they take a quarterback as well, the successor to Matt Ryan, there was all but no chance they were going to get any of the quarterbacks come that eighth overall selection. So I think that's what further enhanced the trade for Sam Darnold. Yeah, and the Panthers were linked to guys like Trey Lance. I think yeah. he would have been a perfect fit for them. Uh, I don't think they're taking him now. I think you know they could possibly go elsewhere, an offensive weapon for Sam Darnold or, or a lineman. Steve Martin, and hello, what's up, Steve? Any chance Carolina moves up to four and snags Kyle Pitts to really bolster that offense? Now, it's funny, Kyle, you just brought up the idea of Atlanta potentially trading down. They could swap places with Carolina if they want Kyle Pitts. The Falcons have been linked to Kyle Pitts as well at number four. So what do you think about that? Do you think Carolina could move up to that number four pick? I, I think, think they so. could. De- I think they could. I think they could. It gives more draft capital back to the Atlanta Falcons. They're put in an uncomfortable position right now because they just paid Matt Ryan just a year ago, a massive contract, uh, which Arthur Blank and the, the organization, which is the Atlanta Falcons, is not willing to give up on that yet. Because if you watch this Atlanta Falcons team, it's not the offense that's been the problem. It's the defense that's the problem. They blow leads late. I mean, Kyle Pitts is only going to add to an already, I think, pretty great offense led by Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And Hayden Hurst wasn't too bad either. And I get it. Kyle Pitts is, you know, people are saying, you know, you don't see this this ever, rarely ever, this type of talent. But to move up that much to get a tight end, I don't see it happening. Steve, personally, I think when you look from four to eight, Kyle Pitts might actually fall into the hands of the Panthers, depending on if a team trades up or not. I think if everything gets let alone now, he might be there to select. What's in front of them? The Dolphins, who already have Mike Gusecki. Uh, yeah. The Bengals could take him, but I think they're more so looking for a receiver or maybe an offensive lineman. The Detroit Lions, they have TJ Hawkinson, and there's the Panthers right there. He might fall right into their lap. That's a good point as well. Tommy the Mac McNamara in the comments section. What's up, Tom? We just uh, brought you up. Darnold will be successful in Carolina. The Jets wanted to keep the QB cost down. Douglas basically said that today. I think the Jets made a mistake. Hopefully I'm wrong. Darnold is younger than Burrow with three years of experience with zero coaching. That's true. He's only 23. Um, only 23. Tommy, Tommy, uh, yeah, the Jets set up Darnold to fail. They he had nothing around him, and this is nothing against Sam Darnold, but you know he just wasn't the guy. They were in a terrible coaching situation with Adam Gase that they couldn't get out of. Had two years of Gase, and Darnold had a year of Todd Bowles. So right there and then, you know, there there and with who was in their division, you had New England who was dominating. Now Buffalo's on the rise. Miami's stock is going up as well. What were the Jets going to do? You have to start over at this point at the quarterback position. Um, I know you may disagree with that, Tommy, but I do think Zach Wilson has a lot of young talent and promise. And I think first-year head coach, first-year quarterback, 
works well a lot more often than not. Just my opinion as compared to a first-year quarterback and a head coach who has been there that doesn't necessarily mesh. And I think that's what that's one of the multiple factors that happened with Darnold and the Jets. But we wish Sam Darnold nothing but the best in Carolina. Thank you for being a New York football athlete. I, I you know I can't say that I'm personally a Sam Darnold fan, but you know he gave it his all with the Jets. Had didn't have much to work with, but he has a lot more down in Carolina, as you said. He gets Robbie Anderson back, so that should be a lot of fun for him. So next topic. Um, and, you know, we'll get more into the Jets and the Panthers later as far as who they're taking in our mock drafts. But we do quickly want to recap the Knicks-Nets game last night. That took place in Brooklyn. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are first in the Eastern Conference. They have been on a roll since acquiring LaMarcus Aldridge. Well, I shouldn't say a roll. Uh, they did fall to the Bulls on Easter Sunday. They didn't show up. It seemed like they forgot there was a game. Nikola Vukovic, one of the Bulls' new acquisitions, was outstanding. And then on Monday, they barely escaped the Knicks. But remember, they're without Kevin Durant. James Harden had to leave with right hamstring tightness last night. Harden only played four minutes. Irving picked up the slack, scoring 40 points. And the Nets somehow survived, winning by two points after trailing by 10 at halftime, Kyle. Uh, this is a resilient Brooklyn team. Their role players can get it done. This is not a Nick team of the 2010s, of the late 2010s. This is a new New York Knicks team with a new hard-nosed head coach that has a lot of young players, a good mix of veterans, a lot of physicality, and the Nets were able to get it done. Yeah, listen, I mean, you look at this Knicks team and you got to love what they're seeing, you know, just from a New Yorker standpoint, because I'm not personally a Knicks fan. I love what they're doing. but. Again, they, and I think I could speak for all New Yorkers when I say this, let alone Knicks fans, they've probably been the most entertaining that they've been almost in the last decade to watch on a consistent basis. They're a young, new team. They're, they're led by great head coaching. But what I notice over and over again with this team, this team looks tired. They look tired. And that's because you can't – it's been proven. That's what happened with the Bulls when Tom Thibodeau was there. That's what happened yeah. with the Minnesota Timberwolves when Tom Thibodeau was there, is that when you play your guys – 40-something minutes a night, whether they are young in age or not, they're going to get tired. Julius Randle played 38 minutes last night, and he's missed one game all season long. Yes, he put up a triple-double, but at the end of the day, they didn't come away with a win. And if this team is going to truly compete in the playoffs, they have to have fresh legs, and they just don't seemingly have that. And yes, they kept the game close, Tom, absolutely, and that's an achievement against this Brooklyn Nets team, which is stacked, but James Harden only played four minutes because he went out with hamstring tightness. By the way, he'll be out or be reevaluated in 10 days, so that's not good. But Kevin Durant will be coming back on Wednesday. But let's go to Kyrie Irving real quick. This is why you put up with a guy like Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think he's a fantastic player. And when I say put up, I I love him. I think he's one of the best point guards in basketball when he's on the court. And and obviously, listen, there are things that you have to accept as a team when you sign on to a player that has had stuff like this, whether it was with Boston or whether it was Cleveland. This is what they knew. But if the team's okay with it, then that's okay. At the end of the day, the man dropped 40. The man dropped 40 because that's what he could do. He put the team on his back, carried them to a victory. Yes, it was against the Knicks team. But he got them the win in seemingly which could have been an easy defeat based on lack of health. Because off the bench, Tom, you know who their leading scorer was off the bench, giving them 12 points? Elise Johnson, who was just picked up on a 10-day contract. That's who's helping out this team win. 
Kyrie Irving had to carry this team, and they led him to a victory. But still, again, competing against this Nets team, it's very impressive for this Knicks team. Not to mention James Harden currently leads the NBA in assists, over 11 assists per game, and they have their hands tied this week. They host the Pelicans tomorrow, and then they host the Lakers on Saturday. Comment from Salvatore Formica. Julius Randle has anger issues. So does his son. You see, I was just going to say, you see his son's in a video of his son? Oh, my God, that was beautiful. Uh, 40 against the best defensive team in the NBA with no second star. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The Knicks are a game under 500. They're eighth in the East, 25 and 26. And Randall was fantastic, though. He had a triple-double, 19, 15 boards, 12 assists. R.J. Barrett was good. Reggie Bullock was great. The Knicks shot 48% from deep. How did they lose this game? Brooklyn's just a better team. They're just a better team. The Knicks are a team that's young. They don't have a lot of experience. They just signed John Henson to a 10-day contract the other day who played his first six years with the Bucks, spent the last couple of years with the Cavs and the Pistons where his playing time kind of diminished. So you hope that he can come in and give the Knicks a little bit of depth in the front court with Mitchell Robinson out now because they're going to have to have somebody fill in for yep. Mitch. And maybe John Henson is that guy who gives you 10, 15 minutes a game. Obi Toppin hasn't played well. Yeah, he really hasn't he really hasn't developed that well. And it's it's interesting to see that because we coming out of college, coming out of Dayton, he was one of the best scorers in basketball. And the problem that yeah. the Knicks knew going into that was going to be his defensive liability, but he's just yet to really find his his way with his offensive game. And maybe that's due to the the coaching mentality as well, to be quite honest with you, because another thing that Tom Thibodeau has been I don't want to say accused of, but known for doing, is he's looking to win games. He's going to put the best lineup out there possible, whether that means giving the younger guys experience or not. And giving the eighth overall pick in this year's draft nine minutes in the game, he's only averaging 11 minutes on the season. What is he going to learn? What is he going to learn? But at the same time, you have to say to yourself, look at what this guy has done in terms of look at the team he was given. And look at the production he's getting out of them as a playoff team right now. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about with the Knicks right now. Who would have thought that even against a Nets team without Kevin Durant and James Harden, that the game would have been competitive? Who would have pinned Julius Randle as an all-star this year that is close to averaging a triple-double? Who would have pinned Emmanuel quickly as the steal of the NBA draft of this past year? But that's what they've further assembled themselves and put themselves in such a great position. The Knicks will be at the Celtics tomorrow and then host the Memphis Grizzlies on Friday. So that will wrap up our NBA segment for the night. And we're going to move on to some hockey talk here and bring on uh, somebody who you're very familiar with rejoining the show tonight, James Montefusco. James? What's, what's up, up, boys? Long time no see, brothers. What's up, man? I missed you, you guys. Yeah, you're exhausted from work, but I'm getting through it left and right. So sorry, man. You what sound full of energy, so that exhaustion comment's a total lie. <laughs> That's because I see you two guys. Haven't seen you two guys probably. I don't know, two months now. Being on a show, talking some hockey, talking some baseball, talking some football. Man, gotta love it around this time of year. The smile giving you energy, James. Oh, oh yeah, it is. Grand entrance that was, but yeah, uh, anyway, spice the viewers up, you know. You know, 
it's been a while since we've talked about this, and I'm really excited to talk about this hockey team tonight. The New York Islanders are now 24-10-4. They're second in the East. They're on a two-game winning streak where Brock Nelson has been appointed their alternate captain following the loss of Anders Lee. Uh, they host the Caps tonight. They host the Flyers on Thursday, and then they host my New York Rangers on Friday. Guys, what's the what's the latest? Do we have a score update on this game? I just started, so it's uh, actually eight minutes into the game. It's zero zero at the moment in time right now. Um, but with the Islanders, Tom, they've been great. They really have been. I mean, they can't beat Pittsburgh. That's that's been the stigma with this season, yeah. but they had a offensive explosion on Thursday against the Washington Capitals, putting up eight goals on them. One of the better defensive teams in hockey, and one of the teams that they've struggled with over the course of the last couple of years, and even this season as well. On top of the fact, you know, you could argue that was a do or die game because at that point in time, I think the Islanders had forty eight points in second, mm-hmm. and the Capitals had fifty points. So they yeah. had to they had to win that game to essentially tie up for that first overall seeding instead of going four points behind the Capitals. So that was a must win, and they got the job done. They've looked phenomenal over the last few weeks and games they've been able to check. They've, they've either uh, – what I've noticed, either they're able to blow opponents out or they're not able to blow opponents out, which is fine. Um, I'll take. But that that's a little concerning right now. Um, and yes, Connor, uh, Islanders goalies are fired this year. Um, after Sorokin was able to get his foot, his feet wet, Kyle, you can uh, contest this. Yeah. Once he was able to get going, he's been phenomenal, which is great to see. Yeah. He's been one of the better goalies in, in hockey. They have probably one of the best tandems of goalies in the NHL. Um, this season in 13 starts for Elias Sorokin, he has nine wins, three losses, uh, one overtime loss and two uh, shutouts. So he's been fantastic. And a lot of those losses came within his first couple starts. So he's he's won a majority of the games in which he's gotten, like James alluded to, his feet wet. And on top of the fact, Connor got another comment, Barzal is crushing the league. Yeah, yeah. Barzal has been absolutely unbelievable. He's been absolutely unbelievable. I, I mean, this is a guy who was more so a setup man and – Having Honors Lee go down, he was ultimately that next man up. And I get it that Brock Nelson was named the alternative, alternate, but in terms of a guy that's going to spark the offense, that's ultimately what Barzal has been. Mm-hmm. He has 34 points in 38 games this season, and which is much more impressive than last year. Uh, he got his contract, he got his money, and he's still performing up to that high magnitude and high level uh, in which he's been doing across this first half of the season. It's been very impressive. And it's been a fun it's been a fun journey to watch. James, I don't know if you caught that Washington game. Slid past four defenders. Yep. From uh what is it? How how long is an ice hockey rink? I'm just gonna go shout out hundred feet, let's say, something like that. From one end of the ice all the way to the other, scored a goal on uh Sam Nasav, I wanna say. Unbelievable. Yeah, that, I didn't watch it live, but I saw the highlight later on scrolling through and I'm like just he he's an amazing player to watch. It's unfortunate that like uh, Connor with the, I guess the correct. Connor's uh, the hockey expert. He's the hockey. My bad. Hundred twenty. Hundred twenty. Only twenty off, Kyle. But it's not bad. But okay, man. If we were able to see him play this year, if we were able to go, to, I mean, you s- still can go to games. But if, imagine if that was at a f- packed coliseum. Oh yeah. And he did that. That place would be mob. That that place would oh, be yeah. loud. Between but, that and the Buffalo goal. Mm, oh, good stuff, mm. man. 
it's yeah. tough. But uh, definitely entertaining to watch, and this team has been extremely competitive. You know, people going to the season said that, you know, that bubble journey in which they had unbelievable tirade through almost everybody in the league got stopped at Tampa. Yeah. People said that was a fluke, and, you know, that ultimately has not been the case. And I get it. They've only been playing against, you know, teams within their own designated Eastern Conference division, but they've been competitive more so often than not, with the exception of the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've yeah. been very good within their own division and ultimately leading, I think, right now, the division or tied with the Capitals at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Islanders are in a really good spot right now. I do think they're in second after last night, but uh, we just want a quick shout out, Connor Walsh. Thanks a lot for the comments. Uh, keep the comments coming, folks. Make sure to share this podcast with your family, friends, like, subscribe to our Facebook page, and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well at Review and Preview Sports. Really appreciate all the support from our listeners and audience. So, yes, the Islanders are going to continue their dominance. And I know. You, you've been smiling about the whole intro yeah. down this. I hate it. It's the worst. Um, but let's move on to the Rangers. Uh, we have a comment from Sal with, a, with an update. Rangers up 2-0. Wow. Who are we playing tonight? We're playing the Pens, I think. Yeah. Yep, the Pens. And uh, the Rangers – Currently sit at 17, 15, and 4, which is impressive. We're above 500, but we are sixth place in the East after Philadelphia winning last night. We were tied in fifth with them. And, you know, reports have come out saying head coach David Quinn's job is secure heading into next year. So he should be the Rangers head coach heading into 2022, the 2021-2022 season. And I think he's done a really fair job with this team. You have to consider, too, that the Rangers are playing all divisional games this year, and this division is a mess. It's tough to win games in the East. I mean, that's just how it is. It's really tough to win games here. I mean, we host the Pens tonight, and Igor Shosturkin is back in goal. I'm kind of happy about that. Capo Caco has been sent down to the third line. He has not been performing great. And then we host the Pens again on Thursday, and then we're at you guys on Friday. So that's a tough schedule right there. You talked about how the Islanders can't beat the Pens. The Rangers have done a pretty decent job against the Pens. But when the Rangers yeah. play the Islanders lately, I know last year we kind of had your number, but so far this year you guys have held the upper hand, I'm pretty sure. So the Rangers are a young team with a lot of promise, playoff potential. The issue with the Rangers is that their, their division is so competitive and they're still coming together as a hockey team. Yeah. Well, I think also with the Rangers, it's that some people feel it's a young team. They were they were doing pretty well last year, and then they're like, it's a young team. We should be able to do something this year, and then they're not meeting that expectation as, say, your crosstown rivals. The Islanders are pretty much dominating the East. Yeah. I think what it comes out to being, it's a young team. Yes, we, we look at – we always love to see that success story, a young team up and rising ahead of its years, dominating. Unfortunately, the Rangers oh, have had some bumps in the way this season. I would be more entitled to – not entitled, but you guys get what I'm saying – to see what next enticed. year holds. Yeah, enticed. Thank you. Yeah. To see what next year holds for them. Because next year, this was only a stepping stone for them. Next year, it should be pretty much back to normal. They should be playing throughout the country in Canada. So when you're not out of the yeah. East, it's only you're only going to better yourself. Right. That's my 100%. opinion. 
couple more comments. Sal, Quinn killing Capo and Alexis to save his job. What do you think about that? Um, you know what? I do agree with him. I see where he's coming from. I think Quinn um, is in a sticky situation right now because regardless of who's on your schedule, you have to win hockey games in this league. That's just how it is. You can't use that as an excuse. I, I totally understand where he's coming from there. Uh, Connor, yo, fun facts. Bruins have a rookie goalie in net. Jeremy Swayman, check the kid out. He's one to watch. Interesting. <laughs> I have not done my information on him, but uh, I will right now. Very I mean, see. I, I would agree with Lafaniere. He's only the last, I would say, five, six games. He's only played about. 11 minutes or less. Well, Cabo, Cabo's getting minutes, but he only has one point in the last six, seven games. Now, what I would say to that is that, again, I don't watch this team as heavily as Ranger fans do, and they all say the same thing with Capo Caco, is that if you watch him skate, if you watch him pass deflection, puck deflections, and somewhat have that defensive-minded set where he's getting involved and plays left and right, that's how valuable he is to the team. But ultimately, he's not a defenseman. He needs to start scoring. He needs to get that offensively capabilities underneath him because now this is year two. And I think that the pressure isn't so on him anymore because, first off, you have the number one overall pick. You got Lafreniere, who's supposed to be this next Sidney Crosby-esque player, and he's yet to really come into his own as well. And now you're seeing Zibanejad, uh, Panarin, especially Zibanejad, really, starting to get back to where they were, where they left off last season. On top of Ryan Strom quietly having a great season, Chris Kreider started off nicely. And like James said, yes, they're a very young team, but at the same time, they set the bar high for themselves last year. You have to further improve upon that. And I don't think I'm wrong by saying this, but I, I don't think they've necessarily improved. I don't think they've gotten worse, but I don't think that they've necessarily improved. I think they've added a lot of they've added a lot of young pieces of this team, right? Keandre Miller is another guy, defenseman. I know they just traded Brandon Lemieux so they could bring off uh, Kratzoff. Mm-hmm. But again, there needs to be wins, and that's why you're seeing already outspoken members of the organization say that David Quinn, his job is locked up, because they know this is the time and period where a lot of things may not go their way, hence a loss yeah. to the Buffalo Sabres. But Thanks. Thank you. But the, the times yeah, and tribulations will be rough, but at the end of the day, they'll get through these next, what, 30-something games, whether they make the playoffs or not. They'll be a team up and ascending come next year because I think that's when the team will be in its full form and completeness. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys are excited for that as well as I, as Islanders fans, uh, which, by the way, Swayman <laughs> making his NHL debut tonight for the Bruins, just 22 years old from Alaska. Hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. And he, uh, the Bruins are up one nothing in that game, and They're playing Philadelphia, so hopefully the Bruins can help the Rangers out by giving the Flyers a loss as we're right behind them in the standings. And a quick comment from John Suggs. Do you think the Sharks could sneak into fourth place? I think the Wild will start to slide and the Coyotes move into third and Sharks barely get the fourth spot. I'm not sure. I know the Sharks have been on a wild winning streak lately, so we will see. Uh, Sal Kreider has gone completely cold. Alexis should have gotten a shot. I mean, listen, that's yeah. true. You guys knew that when you guys signed into that six year deal is that he's a player that has a fantastic month and a half like no other. And then he just goes cold. Now, speaking of deals, we're going to transition here. Let's get into a deal. We're going to transition into our baseball segment. 
The New York Mets give their newly acquired shortstop, Francisco Lindor, a 10-year, $341 million extension. This is a team record contract that starts in 2022. He was signed for $22.3 million this year. Um, I heard he was looking closer to 370, 380 territory, mm-hmm. but the original offer from Cohen was around 320, 325. So I'm kind of happy it came in here around that 340 range. Obviously, this is an, an overpay. I mean, you signed him through age 38, but this is the best, arguably the best shortstop in baseball. It's something, something you had to do. Um, you know, it was something you had to do. You had to lock this guy up. I mean, you gave up a lot for him. And I mean, I'm happy he's a Met right now, but in five to six years, you don't know what's going to happen to him. See, I'm not a big fan of these long-term 10-year, 12-year deals. They don't really make sense to me. But when you got a good one like Lindor, this is what you got to do. So job well done, Mets, getting it yeah. done before the season started. It's it's really interesting because, uh, again, it's something you have to do in baseball. It's just become a, a play of the game. But I was talking to somebody, um, I know one of my friends, and he brought up something really interesting to me, which you, know, you, you think about as a fan of baseball, but you don't necessarily transition and go – like the light goes off and you say, man, that really doesn't work out. I don't know why the teams do that. What was the last time you saw a team sign a player to a seven-plus-year deal, 10-plus-year deal, and that player on that team contributes to a World Series? What was the last time you saw it? It, do- it doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because, Tom, I'll transition back to this point, in which we talked about last week or the week prior when we were talking about giving Lindor this contract. And I said, listen, at 340 or at 350, because I think we were around the 350 range at the time, that's what I felt it was going to be around. Yeah. You could be mad about it now, but come the end of the next this season, when Carlos Correa is getting 360, 370, Corey Seager's getting the same thing, Trevor Story's resetting the shortstop market, you'll be laughing to the bank because, yes, you'll pay a boatload for him, but you won't be paying as much as the other guys who are going to look to consistently reset that market that Lindor just set. So yeah. it was something you had to do. It, it's kind of like what the Giants did with Kenny Galladay in a sense, although that's that's a different sport with much which, yeah. with much less money. But um, all right, yep, yeah, Salvatore, I agree. Um, good signing. Unfortunately, superstars get ten years. Fernando uh-huh. Tatis is out for six. Whoa! So, I didn't know that. Yep. I, do you guys know how gruesome that injury – well, not gruesome, but my cousin had that same injury. He couldn't play ball for five years. What what injury are you talking about? The Tatis injury. injury. It says he has shoulder subluxation? Yeah, my cousin had the same thing. He was he couldn't play for five years. I mean, obviously it's six months, he'll get the best treatment in the world, but I don't think you will see him in six months. No, he listen. You're not going to. Uh, I mean, by the way, six months of the baseball season's over, and we'll yeah. see where the yeah. Padres are at at that point in time. But I, again, I don't think they're going to be as good as we thought they were going to be without him. But as a shortstop, having that injury as a shoulder injury, I don't know if that's on his throwing arm or his non-throwing arm. But you need to be able to have that. That's how you make your money thrown out to first base. So yeah. we'll see what happens. I think this confirms that the Dodgers will, if it didn't already, the Dodgers are taking that division this year, NL West, uncontestedly. I don't think the Padres have a shot at winning the division, especially after losing a guy like Tatis. So, um, 
and John talking about his Braves, uh, Swanson and Arcia, Orlando Arcia. Do you guys know much about Orlando Arcia? I'm not too, uh, not too no. defined with the Braves. No, but John and and I saw that this morning as well, but or early in the day as well. But you look at Dan Swanson, uh, Swanson when he came into the league, he was touted to be one of these next generational players, and he just hasn't been that. Like, he, he hasn't been that in his six years with the Braves. So I'm not surprised that they're moving towards that position of moving on to get a different guy. He has a career batting average of 248, which is not good. He doesn't get walked a lot. He strikes out a tremendous amount. I'm not surprised that they're looking to potentially move on to another piece in a new position in that standpoint because he truly hasn't been that great. Because he was a he was a former top ten pick, I want to say. I think he was the seventh overall pick yeah. or something like that. Yep, you are correct. But let's uh, let's stick with the Mets here. I kind of want to talk about a couple of things about the Mets, and then we'll move on to the Yankees. The Mets had their opening weekend series against the Washington Nationals postponed due to a Nationals player uh, getting a virus. Sandy Alderson encouraged that all Mets players get the COVID nineteen vaccine when eligible. And this is per Anthony DeComo. Uh, this is the most talented Mets opening day roster on paper since 2007. Unfortunately, the Mets had to wait three days, four days later, four to days. finally get on a baseball field. And I think it affected them a little bit. The Phillies were a few steps ahead late in that game. The Phillies were coming in 3-0. and The Grom is on the mound, and we saw a – Typical 2018 Mets baseball game where they hold a small lead to nothing, which, by the way, the Grom was two for three with an RBI himself. Yep. The Grom supplying his own runs. That's a, I mean, it's great to see pitchers hit again because we know DeGrom could hit. We know Syndergaard could hit. But come on. The Grom should not be the one hitting in runs. The Grom went six innings, no runs, three hits, seven strikeouts, two for three with an RBI single, left the game up 2-0, why did Luis Rojas pull him at 77 pitches? When I first saw this, I was like, okay, they're probably taking him out because it's his first start of the season and, and you don't want to overwork. I mean, okay, fine. With the way the bullpen came in and looked, that decision looks a lot more questionable now than it would have if Cat. I mean, Castro had a clean seventh. Well, then Trevor May and Aaron Loop, the two guys you went out to acquire to improve this bullpen, shit the bed. Yeah. Trevor May had like an 88 ERA. That was impressive. <laughs> but, Tom, you're 100% right. And I talked to a bunch of Met fans today about it. And, listen, they felt comfortable with the decision after pulling him out for 77 pitches. Personally, I didn't get it because even after the game, Bryce Harper came out and said, basically, thank goodness they took out – uh, thank goodness they took out DeGrom because we couldn't hit him all night. We couldn't hit him all night, and they took him out. And whether you want to say they took him out earlier, they took him out too late, this is at the end of the day what you have to realize is that for some reason, this team, from an offensive standpoint, just does not show up when Jacob DeGrom is on the mound. This man has managed to pull Cy Young's for this team and represent the ball club as one of the most established and best pitchers in baseball. And he's done this with Cy Young winning seasons with only, what, 10, 11 wins? Imagine yeah. if the team actually gave him some run support. Tom, you sent the post, I think, last night. 
31 times after Jacob deGrom's start, the bullpen has blown saves for him. 31 times in his career. And his career has not been that long either. What is it, six, seven years? 31 times in his career. He's, it's disgraceful. He's, yeah, It's an absolute been, disgrace. He's been in the league seven years. Um, yep, Sal is right. The Mets need a real manager. Yeah. Luis Rojas will not be here long term. No. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you on that. I think he gets fired mid season. I, I think, think so, Luis yeah. Rojas gets fired mid season. I don't think he lasts the season. And I, I think, and it's n- nothing against him personally. He wasn't supposed to be the guy, but he's now the guy. He was the manager of a shortened season, and now he is the guy. I don't think he's the guy. The thing that I don't like where baseball is ending up going, which I'll have to eventually accept that fact, is it all it comes down to the statistical numbers that are out there. If DeGrom, he's at 77, if he pitches another seven pitches, he brings it up to 80 and change, that could include a home run, a double, and a single, which I look at, I'm like, if you, it, your ace, that's one you. Cy Young's after Cy Young's, he's one himself. He does the whole work for the team when yeah, he, he pitches. Does yeah, and yeah. you pull him after seventy-seven pitches, you let him go. He's the veteran of that rotation. He is your guy. You let you ride your guy. That's my opinion. But I gotta accept the fact of the stats is now part of baseball. And it's one thing if your speed is down on your fastball late, but but the Grom's the hardest throwing pitcher in the freaking league, guys. He was throwing a hundred for five he innings. Hit, he hit one hundred and one last night. Yeah, and here's another thing too, which I don't get because this was people's argument as well: is that well, he's your ace, you don't want to see him get hurt, and I'm on a hundred percent agreement with that. But when do you get to the point where you just say to yourself, when do pitchers in this league not get hurt? When do they make it through 162 games? By the way, they don't even play that. They only play like 30-something. If you're the ace, more likely than not. When do they not get hurt? When do you not see him at some point in the season get hurt? It happens. I'm not saying you have to have your guy throw out 100 pitches every night, but to pull him out after 77 in a close game like that, when it was written like a storyline, when your Mets only give you two runs support in an entire game, one of which came from you, you said, right, Tom? DeGrom had one of the runs? Yeah. What are you doing? And I don't blame Rojas because, to be honest with you, James, you said it 100% correctly. That's analytical. That's statistic. That comes in upper management. That's not a decision that gets solely placed on Luis Rojas. That goes to Sandy Alderson and everybody else within that organization as well because of how good DeGrom is as a pitcher. And really, it's almost a shame because DeGrom is as good as a pitcher as basically anybody in this league. And almost every single time, if the Mets even gave him three runs a game, he's a guaranteed book it win. They just don't do that. They don't give him any support whatsoever, and that's why, what, his last Cy Young, he only won 10 games, 11 games in that season? It was 10 and 9, yep. They don't help him. But let's not freak out yet. You know, some of our new additions did come in clutch last night. Kevin Pillar got the start and let off because of the lefty-righty situation. They sat Dom Smith, and he threw out Reese Hoskins at third, trying to extend extend the double into a triple, so Pillar – with an outstanding arm in the outfield. And James McCann had an RBI hit as well. So yeah. some of these new additions came in clutch. And, you know, let's not sit here and freak out over one game. Obviously, it sucks because the Grom's on the mound and you want to win when he's on the mound. But, you know, at the same time, you got Marcus Stroman back out there tonight against Chase Anderson. I don't know. Do we have a live update on that game, James, or anybody? 0-0, um, zero, zero, bottom of the second. Okay. 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 So – 
That'll be interesting. Chase Anderson, I know he's a former Brewer. He's been around for a little bit. Marcus Stroman, obviously, was hurt. Uh, he opted out last year, so good to see him back as that number two starter in the rotation, but I'm sure he'll go down to number three whenever Senegard comes back. But he's a good piece to have regardless of where he is in the rotation. Uh, I'm happy he's here, happy he's healthy. James, we didn't get your Mets record prediction. You weren't on the show last week, so I kind of want to pick your brain here and see where you're uh, – where you're leaning towards. So I know a while back we had the conversation between us three in our group chat, how many they're winning, whatnot. I think they'll hit 87 wins. Um, it Right now, obviously after last night, but it's only game one, whatever. I think they're going to beat the 85, 87 wins. They're not going to crack 90. They're not going to crack a hundred, which everybody's saying this team is built for. Yeah, they are, but they're not. They're not hitting a hundred this this season. And if they do, phenomenal. I'd be I'd be thrilled. But I'm being a little bit more realistic. They're not going to hit a hundred. They're they're not going to crack ninety. They're going to hit somewhere in the eighty-five to eighty-seven range. I agree. I think I had eighty-eight wins for the Mets, Kyle, last week. If you remember correctly, I had eighty-eight. You have eighty-seven. I think Kyle actually had ninety. So, um, yeah, just like you said, James, this team is more than capable of doing so. It's just a matter of them actually doing it. Yeah, I'm going to be fair when I say this. The Mets have a legit shot to make the playoffs this year, but they are overhyped as usual. They're they're an overhyped team every single year. And we have to tone things down a little bit that there's a lot of new players on this team. It's going to take a little bit before the Mets hit their stride, in my opinion. I say the second half of the season will be a lot better than the first. But. Let's move on to the Yankees quickly here. They lost two of their first three games of the season against the Toronto Blue Jays on Thursday. That game ended sadly in the 10th inning with Gray Chuck, RBI double. Gary Sanchez helped the Yankees to a win on Saturday with Corey Kluber on the mound, Jay Bruce, a pair of RBIs. Then on Sunday, Toronto won the rubber game. Domingo German only went three innings, but Michael King had a historic performance for the Yankees Kyle, six innings pitched, no runs, one hit, retired the final 16 batters. Thoughts? You'd love to see it. You'd love to see it. They, they've been talking about Michael King the last two seasons, bringing him up and him really being a solid pitcher. And this is a great position for the Yankees to be in now, considering that you really don't know what the starting five is, right? In this spring training, German pitched lights out, was phenomenal. And in his first major league game back after the suspension, he didn't look good, and he didn't last long. So now it becomes a question. You're running Cole. You're running Kluber. That's a solid one and two. But after that, three, four, five, it's a question mark. Is it going to be a Debbie Garcia? Is it going to be a James Talon, uh, Tal- Talion? I believe that's how it's pronounced. Is it going to be a guy in Domingo Herman? Is it going to be a guy in Jordan Montgomery? Who's Luis Severino when he comes back? These are the questions that need to be answered, and I'm happy that they're somewhat being answered early on in the season rather than later on, showing what Michael King can give you against a pretty good team in the Toronto Blue Jays. I I would say they're one of the better teams in the AL. I don't think they're the best team in the division. I think that goes to the Yankees, but one of the better teams in the AL, and they proved it, and they showed up, and and that's what we saw. I agree, but the Yankees were able to improve their record to 500 last night. They blanked the Orioles 7 nothing, powered by a five-run fifth inning. Jordan Montgomery was strong on the mound, six innings pitched, seven strikeouts. But, Kyle, the Twin Towers went deep, 
Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton had a grand slam, giving the Yankees the victory. And, you know, the Orioles are probably a team that's going to finish towards the bottom of that division. Again, they do have some young talent on that team, but I think the Yankees are going to hit there. The Yankees seem to always get off to a slow start that first series every year, but then they kick things into, into gear. Uh, and, of course, with Garrett Cole on the mound tonight, they're up one nothing right now on the O's. So I think this is a good series for the Yankees to kind of catch their footing a little bit and take off. Yeah, this is a nice, uh, you know, series to adjust into, especially after the Toronto series in which, you know, I, I would bet my money and say that's probably going to be one of the more competitive teams within the Yankees division uh, competing for that number one seeding um, within that division. So playing the Orioles, and they started off hot, too. They won their first yep. three games. I believe they were 3-0 before going to that Yankees matchup last night. So definitely a nice team to get uh, Justins back into, as we saw last night. They they struggled tremendously, leading up a grand slam for Giancarlo Stanton, who really, really struggled to hit in that um, in that Toronto series. Yeah, more, more likely than not, uh, not more likely than not, but most of the time in that last – couple outings last couple innings where he was faced up against Merriweather both times and Merriweather I don't I don't know where he is I don't know if he's new or not or an older player but absolutely came out of nowhere throwing 100 plus miles per hour every single ball and making almost every Yankees batter look like unhittable they they, they couldn't get they couldn't even get the bat on the ball they they were swinging down looking but that's going to be a team that I could see them struggling with but going into this Orioles series I think that could be a team where they slowly climb themselves back up to a 500 or above 500 record. Yeah, and the Orioles have their number seven prospect on the mound tonight, Dean Kremer, who struggled in spring training, and he's on the mound. Garrett Cole on his first start on Thursday looked pretty decent, eight strikeouts and five and a third. But the big news, the big headline is today, the Yankees acquire infield uh Odor from the Rangers for minor league outfielders Antonio Cabello and Josh Stores. So this is a good depth piece for the Yankees, Kyle and James. Uh, what do you think of this addition to that infield? I love it. Uh, the only thing that I, I'm not going to say I don't like about it or that it leaves a question in my mind is that, again, trading for a guy in Odor, I don't think that means that that's going to be a depth piece. That, to me, means that this guy is going to be starting in the infield based on the experience of which he's had. And he hasn't been great the last couple of years, and that's why he's ultimately being paid by the Texas Rangers to play for the Yankees at this point in time as they are absorbing almost all of that $27 million a year contract for him to play now with the Yankees. I would think, and I could be wrong, and Tom, I think I said this to you earlier, but I think that DJ LeMahieu will move to first and he will wind up playing second. Now what that means is, in absence of Luke Voigt, because he will be out probably for another couple of weeks, maybe a month, if not longer. Jay Bruce, who they may not have the most confidence in at first base, will be left as a utility-type player or a player that will not be starting for them anymore. And I say that after he just hit a home run and is <laughs> leading the Yankees right now in a one uh, nothing lead right now uh, in this Baltimore Orioles game. He did hit the only run of the game so far. So... I could be wrong, but again, I don't think Odor is a guy that you acquire to ride the bench, I guess you'd say. John has a solid uh, comment. He's a left-hander hitter, and the Yankees have a mostly right-handed lineup. That's exactly why I think he'll start. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think as far as the infield goes, though, I don't know where he'll play once Luke Voigt comes back because you have Torres, Urshela, DJ, and Voigt. But for now, you make a good argument. He can play second base. Uh, you know, Stanton is your DH. We all know that. Uh, rarely do you see him in the outfield. So I think that's an interesting situation to monitor. I mean, the Yankees brought Brett Gardner back, too. That's an excellent addition to the team. So, yeah, I mean, I still think that he's somewhat depth, though. Not not to, like, kind of counter-argue what you just said. I, I think he's going to be good at a lot of things that yeah. the Yankees were missing before they acquired him. So I, I think that um, – that is definitely good news. And by the way, we do have an update um, on that Rangers game. They're up 4-1 end of the first. Yep. And the Yankees did send some cash as well. Yep, he's right. They did send some cash in addition to those two prospects. James, I want to hear from you. What do you think about the Yankees? Give us their record prediction for the season. What do I think about the Yankees? Well, what do you think, man? I think the Twin Towers, like everybody calls them, Judge and Stanton, will get hurt again. Uh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being like mean or nasty to any Yankee fan that's listening, watching, watching Kyle. They will get hurt again. Um, I think adding a depth piece is helpful. Um, it's definitely important. Um, I think their starting rotation should hold up. I don't see them getting injured much if you know besides a few like a blister hand you know you know all the little stuff You're jinxing the hell out of my team right now tom asked for predictions not what do you think is going to happen to injury prone players my god yeah, i'm just saying all right my prediction um they win 101 games i love it i didn't even have i i couldn't you even build do it. up the suspense just to say that i couldn't even do it but you did it i'm happy you did it what does that add to? 101 and 61, right? Oh, God. That sounds about a right. Lot of wins. That's a lot I, of wins. Well, when you include – Jay Bruce is on your team now, right? Just to confirm? Yes. Yeah. When you include Jay Bruce in that tiny stadium of yours over in the Bronx, he's going to hit nearly 20 to 30 home runs compared when he was with the Mets where the, where the, the walls are actually further than 150 feet from the plate. It's a home so, run friendly park. He, he he picked the right burrow for his bat. But James, yeah. do you have um your MLB playoff and World Series predictions? I know we couldn't get that last week either. Oh um, or do you at least or do you at least have a World Series prediction? I do have a World right Series now. prediction. So I can okay. give you guys that. We'll go with that. Um I wanna say you'll see the Dodgers back there. I think we'll get Dodgers Yankees. Yeah. Who wins? The, the Dodgers. I hate you. I love you, though. Sorry, man. Hey, that's what I got, too. So uh, those Met fans have soft spots for the Dodgers. Um, not really. Sal has a prediction. Mets 90 wins, Yankees 97. I could see that as well. I can see that. I think Sal's it's a 90 for the Yankees. So yep. agreed on the Mets. And, John, yep, stating the obvious there, injuries. Big, big stuff. John, I kind of see. I I agree with you on that. Blue Jays over Yanks. Damn, but but it's only one series, so we got to see. But Tom, I know you want to move on, so. Uh, I do, but um, (laughs) you know, with that being said, it is time to um, get to our NFL mock draft, 
And I think this is definitely going to be a very interesting topic to discuss as the three of us have prepared our mm-hmm. entire first round predictions. This is mock draft 1.0 because I know Kyle and I at least will be doing one more. James may make another one as well. But, yeah, we're all going to do one tonight, and we're all going to do one again a couple of nights before the draft. So uh, I think the way, the best way to go about this is for us to go pick by pick and then say who we think is going to go, all three of us. So we say first overall pick Jacksonville, who we all think, and then go so on. I think it's quicker than all of us running through one through 32. So, all right, this is going to be a lot of fun. So um, here we got our, our banners up and the first team and folks in the comment section, we want you guys to interact with us. So if you have any comments on any of our picks, any, any trades that you think could happen, uh, where you think some of these quarterbacks or receivers could go, any player, feel free to comment in the comment section. We will get back to you as soon as we can. We really do appreciate your live engagement here tonight on the show. But first, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think we can all agree that Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, is the pick here. Yep. What do we think? Yep. Not even an argument. So we're one, so we're one for one. And look, I, I mean, I think it, it's it's really hard for me to not put Trevor Lawrence here because they're in need of a quarterback as serviceable as Gardner Minshew has been for them. He's not the long term answer, um, or maybe he is. I don't know, but. Trevor Lawrence is the guy they're picking number one overall. He is their clear future, and they pretty much set themselves up with the moves they made in free agency to draft him. Yeah. So, and um, number two, number two, we got the New York Jets. Tommy Mack, if you're still watching, I hope you're paying close attention because this is the second time in four years you will be drafting another quarterback. Zach Wilson out of BYU I have for the Jets at number two. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, so we're, we're two for two? We're two for two. We just talked yeah. about it, right? I mean, the move of Sam Darnold implies you need a quarterback. Absolutely. Here's where the fun starts. Oh, boy. Here, here, here's where the real draft actually starts. And we do have a quick question from John Suggs. Yeah. Why is Kyle Trask below the other quarterbacks on the board? Um, hmm. Which which ones are you referring to? Are you referring to the top five, like Jones, Lance, uh, Fields, Mon? Yeah. No, he's he's definitely talking about the core four or five. If you want to consider, you know, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, uh, I think he's, I think he he's not as highly ranked as yes. some of these other guys based on. I don't want to say competition in which he played. I'm trying to remember some of the games in which he played this year. I know they had an ugly loss to LSU, who was not a good team this year. Um, and I believe they faced one other loss as well. And I believe that was to one of the better teams in college football. I think it was Texas A&M or something like that with yeah. Kellen Mond. But I, I think it just comes down to the competition in which they played and, and the big moment games in which they played in. And maybe the physical and the physique in which he possesses maybe somewhat to do with his his pro day if Florida did have one. I think that definitely plays a factor. But, John, my re- my rebuttal to you would be name me the reasons why or maybe this is not a question of yours towards why you think Kyle Trask is higher, but what is the argument to put him 
ahead of guys like Lawrence, obviously not Lawrence, but guys like Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, because I don't think that you can make an argument for Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, but maybe what is the argument to put him higher amongst those top five guys? Because I, I just don't, I don't I don't see him there. I, I see him more as a late first round, maybe early second round pick. I mean, it's a good discussion to have. It's a good debate to have. But let's uh, go over our number three pick, James. I'm going to start with you here. Who do you have going third overall? I got Justin Fields going to the 49ers. Okay, Kyle. I have Justin Fields going to the 49ers. Mm, okay, Tom. I have Mac Jones, quarterback out of Alabama, going to the 49ers. And here's <laughs> here's why. Um, he's been climbing up draft boards as of late. It's been rumored by several guys now, Mike Tenenbaum, even. Uh, there's a lot of people have been saying they'd be shocked if Mac Jones doesn't get picked by the 49ers. Is this a smokescreen? I'm not so sure. But uh, the more I think about it, the 49ers traded up, in my opinion, to – get a quarterback, a quarterback that they don't think will be there at number 12. And Mac Jones very well could be there at number 12, but I think Mac Jones might be their guy. He might possess the traits that Kyle Shanahan wants. So as of right now, I'm going to take Mac Jones here. As crazy as that sounds, he had similar, he had a similar jump to what Joe Burrow had from his second to last year to his last year at LSU. Now, not as insane as Joe Burrow, of course, but I think he had a similar jump that could help his draft stock, and I think his pro day definitely helped that. What do you guys think? I I just don't see it. I see it as a smokescreen. Kyle Shanahan has, in his career, has only had a mobile quarterbacks, pocket passer-like quarterbacks, and I just don't see having the ability to draft a guy in Justin Fields, which – you could do so many things with offensively as opposed to Mac Jones. And not that Mac Jones didn't have a good season because I believe he completed 70% of his passes. But look at the offense that he was in. He was in Alabama Nick Saban's offense with the Heisman winner wide receiver, a, another fantastic wide receiver in Jalen Waddell, two offensive linemen that will probably not last past the second round in Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson and arguably a first-round best running back inside the entire class and Najee Harris to work with as well. So I'm not doubting his stats at all because Ohio State is also a great program as well where they have a lot of great players. But in terms of having the opportunity for the first time in your career to pick the quarterback that you want to work with, because that has not been the case. Her Cousins didn't pick. who's the offense coordinator, made him a great talent. Matt Ryan didn't pick him, made him into a great talent. Jimmy G didn't pick him, brought him to the Super Bowl. All those guys are immobile quarterbacks. You have the opportunity to draft a guy in which you could have an offensive explosion with and so much fun with offensively schemed. I just don't see that being a pocket passer quarterback. I think it's all a facade and a smokescreen. All right. Moving on to number four, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, This is interesting. I'll let you guys start with this one. I have them keeping the pick. I think they're taking a quarterback, and I think that quarterback is going to be Trey Lance. I think that the writing is on the wall where you have a new head coach. And even though they give a big contract to Matt Ryan, I, I just don't see him being the guy as he ages and, and them looking to get rid of that capital as well in terms of the salary allocated to that contract, because that contract is another thing that is hindering the team from improving on the other side of the ball where 
they could have Trey Lance sit behind Matt Ryan because he's not a guy that will be ready right away. Let Matt Ryan live out that contract another year or two and then have Trey Lance ready and prepared uh, to play in the next couple of years. So that's where I think they go. I know there's rumors they might trade the pick, Tom. I don't know if you wanted to get into that a little bit, but I just don't see that happening unless a team is really, really high on a player, uh, which we saw earlier with Steve's comment. You know, Carolina maybe moving from eight to four could be a possibility. I don't see them moving the pick, though, but we'll see. James, what do you got? I got Kyle Pitts. They're taking a tight end. Um, with the new GM and his fond memories of Jimmy Graham, I think he's going to take a tight end. Um, I think it only makes sense, in my opinion, to take a tight end. I don't – I mean, Kyle Pitts could fall, but he's probably the best tight end in the league. I would like him to go to the us Giants. Um, but I know that's not – sitting at 11, that's not probably happening. Um, but I think Atlanta takes a tight end. Yeah, and I went back and forth on my pick, and I had Kyle Pitts for the longest time at number four if they kept that number four pick because Kyle Pitts is being regarded as the second-best player in this draft. But the more I think about it, I think Trey Lance will be the number four overall pick. I'm just not sure if it's the Atlanta Falcons or not. I think Kyle brings up a good point. Matt Ryan has – um, derailed this team as far as being able to improve in other aspects, in particular the defense, because the offense is loaded. I think Pitts could be a great addition, be a good complementary tight end with Hayden Hurst. Those two together would be outstanding in addition to Julio and Ridley. Right now, the way I look at this football team, you may want to draft a quarterback now. I have Trey Lance as well going to the Falcons because next year the quarterback class is horrible. Um well, not horrible, but it's not good, not good um, in my opinion. And then Arthur Smith came out and said Matt Ryan probably has two-plus years left in him, right? Green Bay drafted Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was around 35, 36, right? Yeah. And, and what happened? He sat behind Brett Favre for three years. Trey Lance could very well do the same thing, but the difference with that is Trey Lance is the number four overall pick. Is the number four overall pick going to sit behind for three years, you may want to get rid of Matt Ryan's contract in a year in a year or two and start developing with Trey Lance because a new head coach, especially a young offensive line like that, more often than not, means a new quarterback. So that's why I'm going Trey Lance here with this fourth pick. But they they might trade down. There's rumors they might trade down. If they want to stick with Matt Ryan for another two to three years at least, they will trade down. They'll, they'll, find a, they'll find a suitor. They'll definitely find a suitor. Number five, the Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock, and um, Joe Burrow obviously had a very gruesome injury last year that was hard to watch, and their offensive line was absolutely atrocious. Despite the rumors of Joe Burrow wanting to bring in his former teammate and buddy LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, I think the Bengals have to go line here and draft Panay Suell. This is a generational talent at the offensive line position. He can play left tackle, and they just lost Andrew Whitworth a few years back. They need to protect Joe Burrow up front. I mean, you have T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd. You can argue they may go Kyle Pitts at number five if they want a weapon, but if you don't protect Joe Burrow, that's a problem. Regardless of what type of weapons you have, you have to protect your quarterback. It starts up front, Penny Suell going to Cincinnati. I have Jamar Chase. Uh, again, while Sewell is a great option, 
they have, if anything is good on that offensive line, it's their tackles. They picked up Riley Reef and they have Jonah Williams. It's the guards in the interior offensive line that sucks. So I don't know how Sewell would fit in. I know that obviously adding another great offensive lineman can't hurt, but I don't see him moving to a guard position or maybe one of the other two moving to a guard position so that he fits in properly. I think Jamar Chase, although they have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, I don't think that they can evolve as a number one receiver. I think Jamar Chase instantly comes in and solidifies that core of receivers and makes them fantastic. You already know he has a tremendous amount of success with Joe Burrow and can fit the system properly and have him flourish and make even more success underneath him. And another thing, we talk about generational-type talent. This man is a freak athlete. I, I, he ran a 438 at the combine on the 40-yard dash, a 41-inch vertical, an 11-foot broad jump. And I think he had, and don't quote me on this, I think he had like 25-plus reps. The man's a freak. He's a solidified number one. He's, he's wide receiver build that you don't see very often. And on a team that, yes, doesn't necessarily need the number one, Right now, in terms of receiving class, a guy that you know that your quarterback has had success with, I don't see how you pass up on that. So I got Jamar Chase. James. Uh, just sum it up simpler, I agree with Russo because I'm going to a charm with Jamar Chase as it was. Um, even though, Tom, I get what you're saying, that they should go protective, but I think they can go get a protective guy on the offensive line in the second or third round whenever um, – whatever pick they have in either of those rounds. It's a fair argument. It's a, it's a deep tackle class. However, I, I mean, again, I, I just want to make this last point because Kyle brought up something that I want to argue. Uh, Riley Reef is 30-something years old, and he was going to play guard for the Vikings last year, which, you know, quite frankly, he should have. And he's more of a left tackle moving to right tackle now. And my ideology of taking Sewell is that you move Riley Reef inside to guard and use Sewell as your right tackle. So that that's where I'm kind of coming from there with that pick. Um, but I can see Jamar Chase as well. I did flip-flop with that one. But with the way Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow recruits, he's established a foundation there. If he wants a wide receiver like Jamar Chase, he can bring in Jamar Chase. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I could see Chase going to the Bengals at five. But I have Suell to be a little different. Let's get to number six, the Miami Dolphins. This is where I have Jamar Chase going. Uh, I think they need a receiver. They signed Will Fuller to a one-year deal. I get it. He's not going to be available the first game. He has off-the-field issues. You know That hurts me a little bit as a Notre Dame fan. And Devontae Parker is probably uh, more of like a, a two, in my opinion. I think Jamar Chase can definitely help them out. Uh, and be that weapon that Tua needs. They could also use line help, but I have Jamar Chase going here to Miami. I have them going Penny Sewell. I, I think that Brian Flores and the GM worked a a move in which they felt more comfortable taking Penny Sewell instead of at the number three position, at the number six position, because I think he will – I think he'll be there personally. And I think that on an offensive line, which is not very good as they did lose Ted Cross. Uh, back to the Patriots at the center position, a team, an offensive line that features Eric Flowers, I and a team that traded away Laramie Tunsil two years ago. I think they need to rebuild and protect the quarterback from the tackle positions, and I think that Penny Sewell fits the job perfectly. I got Devontae Smith, wide receiver. Um, Wada would be a good one for them, but I think Smith uh, is – 
better to help um, what's his name Tua develop more as a second year quarterback. Former teammates too. Yeah. So good chemistry there. I like that with Devontae Parker as well. It's a nice little offense if they do that. Absolutely. Uh, The Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. Um, Who wants to go first here? James, why don't you go first for Detroit? I got Jalen Waddle. So I like that. I I love him to fall down to us, but he's going up early. I have uh, Devonta Smith uh, on my board. I I think that with a team that lost all of its offensive weapons, Marvin Jones is gone and Kenny Galladay is gone. Um, I think that they need to give Jared Goff somebody to throw to. I mean, that's an obvious. And I think that Devonta Smith, Heisman winner, uh, best receiver arguably left on the board at this point in time, uh, at least on my mock because I have Jamar Chase going to the Bengals. Uh, I think that Devonta Smith is the obvious pick here for the Detroit Lions to take. I got Devontae Smith as well. I think he's a good piece. He's a receiver that they need, that Jared Goff needs. There's rumors they can take Fields here with this pick, but I'm not putting him there. Notice how Fields is still on my board at this time, and we're already at number seven. Um, So I think Devontae Smith is the pick here. They need a wide receiver. I have chased off my board. He's the next best receiver available. In my opinion, I have him above Waddle because of the injury concerns. So I have Smith going at number seven. Number eight, Carolina Panthers, a team that just acquired Sam Darnold. I have tight end Kyle Pitts going to the Carolina Panthers. I think they need a tight end. They signed Dan Arnold in free agency, which is a good move for them, but I don't think he could be a number one. I think he's more of a number two. You add him to an offense that just got a little better. Darnold, McCaffrey, Pitts, Moore, Anderson. That's a recipe for success in Carolina in 2021. Kyle Pitts, my number eight pick. 100% agree. Everything you said, Tom. That's exactly what I want to see go down. I want to see Kyle Pitts go to the Panthers. So we're moving on to number nine, right? Well, what's your number eight? Who do you take? Oh, my number eight? Oh, uh, hey, James, listen, man, we'll just skip number eight through 32. We'll skip you, man. No problem. (laughs) Dre Lawrence. Um, Even though they acquired Donald, I still think they're going Trey Lawrence, even though we had a conversation earlier. What was it yesterday? Whatever. I still think they're going to go Trey Lawrence. We, I know Darnold. Yeah, you keep was on not, saying Trey Lawrence, Trey Lance. It's Trey Trevor Lance. Lawrence. Trey All Lance. right, Trey Lance. All right, my dyslexia kicked in, man. You, you, you can fight me about that at another time. I'm not going to fight you about that. No, I know. But yes, I think they're going with a quarterback. I think they might. Darnold is there, but I think they are looking towards the future past Darnold if Darnold does not work out. All right. So uh, we're a quarter of the way through. Number nine, the Denver Broncos. Kyle, you can go first here. Who is your pick? Uh, Micah Parsons. The Denver Broncos love their defense, especially coach-driven by Vic Vangio, which is a defensive guy. Uh, They drafted so many different offensive weapons last year. Uh, invested in a running back in Melvin Gordon last year, drafted Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler in both the first and second round at the wide receiver position. We know they got Noah Font, and the offensive line is not bad. So I'm going defense here, and I think they take linebacker Michael Parsons. As, Tom, you alluded to earlier, I think prior to the show, this man's a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. 
He is. I have Parsons going here as well. They need a linebacker in their scheme next to Josie Jewell. I think Denver has the weapons offensively. I believe in Drew Locke. I really think he is the guy in Denver. I like him a lot. And, yeah, you mentioned it. Vic, I'm sorry, but I don't trust Locke. Well, John disagrees. But, um, you know, that's the beauty of doing these mock drafts, agree to disagree. But, uh, you know what, I think Drew Locke, he didn't have Cortland Sutton last year. Uh, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay were both in and out of the lineup. He was throwing a guys like Tim Patrick and the whole COVID situation didn't help them either. So I think getting a game changer on defense, like Micah Parsons, you know, a lot of people think maybe corner, but they ju- just got Ronald Darby and Kyle Fuller in free agency. You don't need a corner there. In my opinion, especially with Simmons coming out and saying that we like Locke, he's our guy. Micah Parsons makes the most sense here at number nine. For my number nine, I got Sewell. Uh, that's the, um, he's and an offensive lineman. AC, yep. Uh, he's going to fill that big hole they have on the right side. I think it's also good for them to get some offensive line help. I see a quarterback because we saw what happened in their quarterback situation last year. But I think that offensive line needs to be solidified as well. So, yeah, I could really see another player going there too. I can see an offensive lineman going to Denver as well if they don't go Parsons. I could see a guy like Suell or Rashawn Slater going there if uh, Parsons is off the board or if they don't want to go there. But let's move on to how about them Cowboys, number 10. Uh, James, you, you can take the honor here and go first. Who do you think the Cowboys are taking? Uh, they are taking Kyle. No, they are taking Patrick Sertan the yeah, second. Sertan Um, they need to address their secondary, man. Unfortunately, they do. But I think they they need it. They have the wide receiver. They have their quarterback. They got the running back. Their offensive line's a little iffy. Their front end on the defense is okay, but your secondary isn't up to par. And with the league where it's going now, if you're going to have a high-powered offense like the Giants now, you know, one of their main competitors able to throw the ball over the middle of the field and nobody's able to cover any of these guys, Yeah, you're going to go CB. I agree with you, James. I'm going to say J.C. Horn, though, at the CB position. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's slowly climbed himself up draft boards. I think he's established himself over Patrick Sertain where people are ranking him ahead on these uh, on their mock drafts as one of the top corners of the not uh, if not the top corner in this year's draft so I have JC Horn uh, going to the Dallas Cowboys I think the Cowboys are going corner as well but I agree with James I think they're taking Patrick Sertan out of Alabama I think he's the guy that they have to go here his ball skills are very impressive he's a physical corner who doesn't miss tackles and they have to improve their secondary. They lost the woozy. They, you know, they weren't a good defense at all last year. They have to improve their defense if they want a shot at winning the NFC East because the Giants got a lot better on offense. So I think that's going to be key for the Cowboys in 2021. I have Sertan. We move on to our Giants now. And again, this is not set in stone. We're, we're, we're doing another one of these in a few weeks, but I have Jalen Waddle going here to the Giants at number 11. I know we just got Kenny Galladay. I know we signed John Ross. I know we have Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph. I get that. In the first round, 
the Giants are going to go with the best player available. There's a you can make an argument for Rashawn Slater, but I don't think if you if your idea is to play him at right guard, that's not a guy you take in the first round. An edge at 11 is a huge reach. Guys like Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau, Quidey Pay, I can see them going a Quidey Pay or a Jalen Phillips at 11. Don't be surprised if it's one of them. That's what scares me. But I think here the best player available on my mock is Jalen Waddell, who is very fast, and I have him going to the Giants because Sterling Shepard can be cut at the end of next year if you if we're in a similar cap situation to free up money. Darius Slayton, we don't know if he's a true number two yet or not. I think you have a true complimentary receiver in Jalen Waddell. And again, you're giving Jones just another weapon. So I have Jalen Waddell going here to the Giants. Yeah, I agree with you, Tom. I mean, the defense, there's ultimately, I I would say at this point, there's really no pieces at this point in time at the 11th overall pick that you comfortably say, uh, can in further improve the defense, which is already, I, I think, stacked. Was a top eight defense last year and only furthermore got better over the offseason. With the offense, the only thing they really need to improve upon is their offensive line. But I think, again, here, like you said, Tom, Rashawn Slater's a, a tackle. So uh, unless you feel moving him to guard is the best decision, which I don't feel that's the case, then you go with the best player available, and that's Jalen Waddle on my mock as well. And I think that that would be – a great suitor for him considering that he wouldn't have to be that number one receiver right away because he has Kenny Galladay now, where as opposed to drafting other teams, he'd be featured most likely as the number one receiver. Well, you guys keep mentioning Rashad Stahl. Uh, wow, I can't now pronounce his oh, yeah. last name. Thank you. Um, he's on my mock. Our gym loves his offensive line. That's what he's going for. He's going for another offense. I would love – Waddle to fall down to us. I don't think he is, even with mock drafts. I think he's still going to be picked within the seven to from seven to one range, give or take. Um, he's not going to fall down to us, and we're going to get another offensive line, which isn't a bad thing, but at the same time, there's other areas to address, like a wide receiver, like a defensive front. Um, but that's my take. John with the comment, you guys don't see the Giants going Micah Parsons. I could see them going Micah Parsons. I mean, Joe Judge attended their pro day. I know there's some character issues, but I don't think that'll prevent the Giants from taking him. If he's there, I I certainly think you should take him. But he solves a lot of our issues defensively as far as covering tight ends, as far as, um, you know, getting to the quarterback. The problem is I don't think he's going to be there. Yeah. John. I don't I don't think he's falling out of the top ten like a lot of people are predicting, which is why I don't have him going to the Giants. I could see it happening. Yeah. I, I would love it. for that to I would love for that to happen. But John, Tom and I both had Parsons going to Denver, I believe, right? Tom, you had Parsons yeah. going to Denver as well. Yeah. yeah. I just don't think he falls out of the top ten. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Um I have the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, and again, this is a pick from Miami via San Francisco. I have them taking J.C. Horn here, cornerback out of South Carolina. This is my number two corner on my mock. And Kyle, I agree. He's been climbing up a lot of draft boards. I don't think he quite cracks the top 10, but at this point, Philadelphia is out of options. And this could be another thing, too. I don't think the Giants have this in mind, but they know Philadelphia is right behind them. Why don't you take that last of the top three receiver just to – 
eliminate that option from them so that they're forced to take a guy like a J.C. Horn. But I think Horn fills a lot of needs for them. They need a corner opposite of Darius Slay. I think he's a really good, young, talented prospect out of South Carolina. That's going to be a big addition to their defense. I have them going with Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. I think that that's one of the the better corners left on the board. I know we talked about it earlier. I've had you sustain falling on my board a little bit, even though he's one of the best corners in college football. I think these guys, combine wise, have have put themselves, given themselves a level of uh, stature to potentially have the argument against it. I think that they are looking for a guy to go alongside of Darius Slay, who they traded for last offseason. Again, the Eagles are in a position where they can really go anywhere uh, because of the amount of holes that they have on their team at this point in time. But I see them addressing the defensive side of the ball, going with that corner so that they're not getting beat down the line of scrimmage in every single game offensively. So having Darius Slay with Caleb Farley there, I think that's the move to go. And number 12 for the Eagles. I have who Tom said, and I agree with Tom completely, so I'm not going to rehash it. All right. Number 13, the L.A. Chargers. Uh, This is where I have Rashawn Slater going out of Northwestern. They need an offensive lineman desperately. He's the best lineman on the board at this point. Really smart, young, bright kid at a Northwestern. I can easily see him going at 11 to the Giants or at 9 to the Broncos, but if he falls this far to 13, you got to take him if you're the Chargers. you got to protect Justin Herbert. They added Corey Lindsley. They added Matt Filer. They have Brian Balaga. You add Rashawn Slater, the line is near complete, and the Chargers are heading to the playoffs in 2021. I'll go as far as that. Tom, you said everything that I wanted to say. So agreed, Rashawn Slater, number 13. They need that tackle positioner uh, replace Trey Turner, who they let go of this offseason. Um, so I think that's the move that they make at number 13. So I like how we're all on the offensive side. I'm taking a different offensive guy. Um, and, Tom, you have my mock draft, so you're going to help me out with the, the, this name. Yeah. <laughs> Van Tucker is the last name. Elijah Vera Elijah Tucker. Van Tucker, yes. Hey, I'm not trying to butcher these guys' names. No, 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 no. no, no. You right? know what it was? I knew exactly what name you were talking about. That's why I started laughing. Oh, Okay. I think Darisaw is slightly better than Rashawn Slater. I don't. I don't, I don't think I agree with that. I, I mean, know. I think no. I think he's the third best lineman behind Slater. I, I don't think he's second. I don't. Yeah, think I don't agree with that. And especially if listen, John, if you've seen his combine workouts, that's you know that's another thing you got to take into account. Uh, especially a guy you saw last um, last draft as well, right, with Makai Becton. Everybody put him on notice as soon as everybody saw his combine stats. And that's exactly what Rashawn Slater did this year. So I think he becomes elevated over Darisau. Number 14, Gabe Flayton's Minnesota Vikings. Kyle, you get the honor of going first here. Who do you have heading up to the cold Minnesota? Christian Darisau. Their offensive line has been terrible. They need to protect uh, – Kirk Cousins, as well as Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook has been getting hurt a lot lately due to the fact that they can't establish a solid holes for him to run through. And I think addressing the tackle position, uh, Darisau being one of the best offensive linemen left at this point in the draft, at least on my mock board, I, I think that's the move to go for them. I agree. I have Darisau going to the Vikings. Have to replace Riley Reef somehow, and that's that's your left tackle of the future, Christian Darisau. Jalen Phillips, I got all right. I can I like see that. it. I like that. They need to improve on that defense desperately. 
They lost Odenibo. Daniel Hunter was hurt last yeah. year. They, they lost Griffin a year ago. Yeah, they need guys. I could see it. And Phillips is highly regarded. They're, they say he might be the best edge rusher, pure edge rusher in this draft, especially his uh, his pro day was outstanding. It was outstanding. Um, but let's move on to the New England Patriots. And um, I'll, I'll go first here because I just want to make my spiel on this. I have Justin Fields, quarterback out of Ohio State, finally going off the board. I really think, I, and again, I'm not saying I think Fields is going to fall to 15. I think there's a good chance this pick gets traded up. But I think Fields fits what the Patriots need. And we're not doing any trades in this mock draft. So the Patriots are here. I have the Patriots taking Fields. I think he provides a good element of offense. He, he's a younger version of Cam Newton, in my opinion, with a much better arm. He's a lot more accurate. I think Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick will be able to work with him. He'll, he could sit behind Cam for a year and learn and then eventually take over as that quarterback for New England. I think Mac Jones might fit their scheme a little better, but if Jones isn't there, then I see Justin Fields being as that next quarterback for the Patriots. So Fields to the New England Patriots. I have Mac Jones going number 15 uh, to the Patriots here. I, I think that he he's a nice system-run quarterback, which – will essentially be really good considering, you know, for the past 20 years, with the exception of this year, they had a quarterback which was a pocket passer. You give him an offensive line, and it'll be great. And that's exactly how Matt Jones flourished this year, where they gave offensive line protection. They gave a decent run game, which New England will have. They added receivers, and they added a bunch of great tight ends for him to throw to as well. He's a systems quarterback, and I think you place him in that New England spot will with Bill Belichick. I think that could ultimately be the best fit for him I think at 15 and a quarterback needy team, even though they brought on Cam Newton for another year at 30 plus years of age, that's not the guy of the future. I think they go Mac Jones here. James. Mac Jones from Saban to Belichick. Realistically. What a story, right? Yeah. Beautiful story ending raising the trophy at the end of this season. Cam Newton is a long distant memory for them. That's a really good combo. And if I don't have Jones going to Frisco, I have him going to New England. I mean, that's that's just what I think will happen if this whole thing is, in fact, a smokescreen about this Jones, the San Francisco stuff. But anyway, number 16, the Arizona Cardinals. James, you can go first. Arizona, Caleb F- Farley. Farley, yep. Farley, I said that correctly. I'm proud of myself. Uh, CB, uh, gaping hole in there. Outside corner spot. I mean, they got everything on that offensive side right now. It's time to switch that defense, make that defense a little stronger, make them a more competitive team come down the road. James, I like that pick a lot. You know, got to replace Patrick Peterson, the 10-year vet, went to Minnesota. But I have them going with the best interior defensive lineman here, uh, Christian Barmore out of uh, Alabama. I think that's the move to go at this pick in time. They added to that defensive front of J.J. Watt. you got Chandler Jones coming back on the edge of a unique guys to solidify the interior. And I think at number 16, this is a perfect fit for them. Christian Barmore, I like it. First defensive tackle off the board. Very, very interesting. There was a similar pick um, last year. Javon Kinlaw went around this time in the draft to the San Francisco 49ers towards the middle of the first round. So it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see if similar fate happens with the Cardinals at 16. But I have Caleb Farley as well. He's my third corner off the board in this draft out of Virginia Tech. He's a big guy, six foot two, very physical. 
And I think this is a guy, obviously he opted out in 2020. We didn't see him play, which is why I think he falls behind guys like Sertan and Horn, players who did play in 2020. But I think Caleb Farley is an excellent addition to a team that has an older quarterback, uh, cornerback in Malcolm Butler. I don't even know who their number two corner is, but he needs to be replaced by Caleb Farley. I think he's a week one starter if all goes well. Yeah. I think it's Byron Murphy right now. I think that's Byron Murphy, that's who it is. Yeah, that's who it is. 17, the Las Vegas Raiders are on the clock. Um, I'll take this one, a team that just traded away three of their offensive linemen. I think they have to go line here. And this is a guy who I think he could either play tackle or guard for them. You have to replace Trent Brown. I think Elijah Vera Tucker at a USC goes off the board here. Geographically, this makes sense, as I love to say. He played his college ball in California. Why not play a pro ball there as well? Elijah Vera Tucker can go guard or tackle, and he's my pick for Vegas at 17. Plays in Nevada now, Tom. They were the Vegas Raiders at this point in time. Oh, no. But I agree with you. I have Elijah Vera Tucker going to the Raiders. Uh, really blew up that offensive line, trading away Trent Brown, uh, signed Colton Miller to an extension. And whether you believe Derek Carr is the quarterback or not, in order for that team to have any success, you need to have success at the tackle position. I think he's obviously the best tackle left on the board at this point in time. So you guys are going offense, I'm going defense. Um, they are going Jace, Jason o, Owen? Owen. I mean, he's just he's insane pass rusher. Raiders need somebody like that. We saw their defense. What was their defense completely hurt because – or, I mean, was out because of contact tracing purposes in the season at one point. So you bring him on, make him a just a monster. I think uh, I think they go defense. I can see them going defense. I don't know about line because they did bring in Yannick Ngakwe and Solomon Thomas, but definitely need help in all defensive standpoints in which they could get. But I, I don't mind that pick. All right. So we're done with Vegas. We're going to move on to Miami. The Miami Dolphins are, very, are in a very interesting position here. I think they can go several different ways they have to improve in several different aspects uh james why don't you go first christian dors dor 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 was dars uh darisau darisau okay darisau oh yeah okay christian darisau an offensive line um you got to build around to a he's your future um and you only want to see what he's made of you got to build around him even though if he isn't your guy in a year or two, you already have pieces built where you can bring in your guy, in a sense. So, James, you who'd you have the Dolphins taking in number six? Number six, Devontae Smith. All right, so you already got the wide receiver on lock. Um, yeah. And my number 18 for the Dolphins, I have them going receiver. I have them going Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, uh, one of the best wide receivers in this class after the core three are taken off the board. Had a fantastic 2018, had an even better 2019, racking up 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. I think this is where the Dolphins go. I think they get a nice number two alongside Devontae Parker in an already decent offense in, in which they've established. 
John Suggs has Tevin Jenkins, can line up at right or left tackle, plays with an edge, and would mean the Dolphins' O-line includes three players selected inside the top 40 over the last two years. 6'6", 320 out of Oklahoma State. That's very interesting. Uh, I don't have Tevin Jenkins, but I do have an offensive lineman for Miami. I have Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Uh, I think this is a guy who had an, had an impressive pro day. I think he's rising up draft boards, and I think he, he does, in fact, crack the first round. I think he's a guy that cracks the first round. I really do. I think Miami needs help on that offensive line. I think you're in the Big Ten. You're playing against some great competition, including Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, Northwestern this year, teams like that. So I have an offensive lineman here for Miami. And I think I, I have the opposite of Kyle. I have receiver lineman. Kyle has lineman receiver. Yep. Uh, James, I, had, I just, James yeah. had the same thing, taking Smith at six. Yeah, I just think, you know, I mean, I think as deep as the receiver class is, I think the tackle class or the lineman class itself is a little yeah. deeper. So that, that's yeah. why I went the way I did. But as I said earlier, I could see the Dolphins going either Sewell or Chase at number six for sure. So. All right, um, Washington. Kyle, you can go first for Washington. <laughs> I got them taking your guy, Tom, out of Notre Dame. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa. I think I pronounced that correctly. Uh, losing two of their linebackers, Ryan Kerrigan, Ryan Anderson to the Giants. Uh, I think that on top of an already stacked defense, they're in a position to add at that linebacker position as that is one of the remaining – you know, missing pieces on that defense at this point in time. You look at the offense, the offensive line is good. They have all the skilled position players. And at least on my mock board, there's no quarterback to be taken at this point in time in 19. So I see them adding in a position of weakness and then drafting Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa. I like it. Look back. I, I, I do like that a lot. James? Um, I am giving Kyle's uh, closet team a wide receiver and Elijah Elijah Moore. Woohoo! Um, I like that. Sticks, you know, I'm trying to. I I don't really remember who their wide receiver core is off the top of my head for whatever reason, but adding another wide receiver is not going to hurt that team. Yeah, they got McLaurin and Samuel now, so they could go that route. Yeah, they could. I don't have them going that route. So, Kyle, you had an edge. James, you had a wide receiver. Uh, I have an offensive lineman. I have Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, who John just mentioned as a possible selection for Miami. I have Tevin Jenkins going to Washington. I don't trust their current left tackle, George Christian Sr. I don't. Um, I know they have Brandon Scherf. I believe they still have Wes Schweitzer and Morgan Moses, but that line needs help. And I think what a better way to fix that than with Tevin Jenkins at number 19 overall. Although I will say this. Washington is a team you must keep an eye on that could potentially trade up for a quarterback. As you know, Fitzpatrick helped groom Tua last year. I would not be surprised if he's called upon to do the same again if Washington trades up. Washington may also go after a guy like Mac Jones, too. So that that should be um, interesting to monitor. So, yeah, but I have Tevin Jenkins for now going to them at 19. Thank you. Chicago. Windy City, baby. Andy, where are you at? Um, all right. Who want who wants to go first here? Who, who I'll wants take to this go one. first for Chicago? Um, Chicago, Andy, if you're gonna 
rewatch, watch, listen, whatever you're doing. If you're listening right now, I'm taking an offensive line for you. Trevor, Tom just mentioned him. Trevor Jenkins. Um, I mean, the Bears. Bears have enough problems. Um, they do. They they got. You don't like Andy Dalton, man. Well, no, I did say Andy was going to a contender team to you, Russo, nearly two months ago. But, right, right. Um, not to the Bears, they didn't think. But by maybe helping that offensive line will only bene- benefit themselves. I don't know. That's my I best guess. I got Patrick Sertain finally being taken off the board as the Bears oh. did just trade Kyle Fuller away to the Denver Broncos. Need to – help out that secondary as they are a defensive-minded team. And I think that that's the way Bears need to draft the head coach, LOL. John, who are some of the top prospects in this year's draft at the head coaching position? I didn't see. Um, but I think they go cornerback here, need to replace that position of weakness on the defensive side of the ball. I think that offensive line would be great. I just don't see it happening personally. Yeah. Uh- so I have the Bears going lineman. Uh, they still have Jalen Johnson at cornerback. I don't know who their number two corner is, but I think the Bears are going to go offensive lineman because it's a much bigger need. In my opinion, you have to prioritize protecting Andy Dalton, giving holes for Montgomery to run, which is why I have them taking Alex Leatherwood tackle out of Alabama. He could easily replace Charles Leno, who was a sixth-round pick many moons ago. And he shouldn't be a starter anymore. So I have Leatherwood going there. Although I would not be surprised if they go corner as well, uh, try to fix that up. But uh, I don't have Sertan falling that far, which is why I have Leatherwood going to the Bears at number 20. Steve Ellis, what's up, my buddy Steve? Tuned into a couple episodes of Big Blue Avenue. The Bears seem to have a curse or something at quarterback. Can't find a long-term solution at all. Never have. Never have, Steve. Still looking. Still looking. Yeah, at, at least Washington got uh, – you know, I can't even say that. I think uh, – yeah, Listen, Washington- Andy Dalton, if you give him protection, he'll be good. Uh, I think he'll be good. And he has enough skill position players around him to have a little uh, some success, I think. Steve says, what's going on? Miss you, Steve. Make sure to uh, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, Big Blue Avenue. Just put a new video up on one of our new uh, assistant coaches. I think you'll enjoy that a lot. Uh, John Suggs, Bears need Jay Cut- Cutlet Cutler back. <laughs> well, he's been their best quarterback that they've had in quite some time. I just, I don't understand why they didn't just re-sign Mitch Trubisky to like a one-year deal. If you're yeah. going to go out and sign Andy Dalton, it makes no sense to me. I think it was one of those things where you look at Deshaun Watson, you look at Patrick Mahomes in the same draft, and you just can't keep on looking at Mitch Trubisky anymore yeah, in the I locker bet. room, realizing you passed up on those guys. Well, trade it up. Trade it up, I might have. Yeah. Grab Mr. We'll, Trubisky. We'll see what in, uh, Andy Hopper has to say about that. Steve, with another comment, Dalton can be okay if he has protection and weapons. Yep, yep. I agree. Yep. Agreed. He was pretty decent with Dallas last year. But moving on to the Indianapolis Colts, number 21. I have Quidey Pay going here to the Colts. Uh, they just lost Denico Autry. They're thin on their defensive line. I know they have the Forrest Buckner inside, but they need a guy. Quidey Pay is a guy who can be very versatile. He can fit in as a defensive end on that 4-3 scheme. Al-Kadeen Muhammad is a local kid out of New Jersey. 
but I don't know if he's necessarily ready to take that next step, as we spoke about with Jake Arthur a few weeks ago on the show, Colt Senior Analyst for Sports Illustrated. I think they're going quite a pay here. I think this is where he falls, number 21. I think they go receiver here. I think they draft Elijah Moore. Uh, you know, bringing back T.Y. Hilton on a one-year deal. Um, Zach Pascal has been decent. Michael Pittman Jr. had a had a decent rookie season, but I think that they need to add to that receiver core for Carson Wentz to really be successful. And I think when you look at the defense, the defense was number one in the rush, number one in the uh, number one overall, I believe, last year as a defense in both categories, pass and rushing as well. Uh, I think that they need to add to the offensive side of the ball in terms of receivers to really up that offense, considering that, again, T.Y. Hilton is probably a one-year deal and prove it kind of deal because he's been injury-plagued. They need more stance of a long-term stability answer. Okay. James? I'm going Alex Leather Leatherwood. Yeah. Offensive line. I could see that, too. They have to replace Anthony Costanzo, who retired yeah. – John has Newsom, Greg Newsom from Northwestern. I could see that happening too. They need a corner. Yeah. Did they bring back, they brought back Xavier Rhodes, right? They did. They did. Yeah. I've also heard they've been linked to that tackle from Texas, Samuel Cosme. I've heard a couple reports about him potentially going to the Colts, but so I have Pay. James has Leatherwood. Kyle has more. So let's move on to. Fonz, the Falcos, Tennessee Titans, they're always in the mix. Uh, at number 22, I have them taking a wide receiver. I have them taking Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I think this is where he goes. Uh, I know they lost corners in free agency, and this could be a position to improve that. They can go Newsom here. Um, they can go O-line here. I think they're going to go Rashad Bateman. They need a complementary receiver opposite of A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds is just not good enough to be a number two receiver, in my opinion. So I have them taking Rashad Bateman, 22 overall. I have them going Greg Newsom, cornerback. Uh, they Losing Malcolm Butler, losing Adoree Jackson, only bringing back Janoris Jenkins, who I believe at this point in time, 32, 33 years of age. Um, they need a solid guy, up-and-coming guy, and I think Greg Newsom would be a perfect fit uh, for Tennessee as their secondary last year was a major problem and will continue to be a problem as they did look to improve the pass rush with Bud Dupree, but in that secondary is is a big issue, and I think they draft the corner here, Greg Newsom at number 22. Interesting. I am taking a linebacker, Uzi Ojalar. Aziz Ojalar. That's close. All right. Um, <laughs> Uzi, I got to give myself some No, listen, man. You're la- when you la- when you start laughing at yourself, that's when I could laugh too, man. John agrees with you. Titans is a pass rusher. He would help Bud Dupree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Number 23, the New York Jets. Kyle, you're on the clock. Who are you taking? Uh, Tom, you said it earlier. Uh, can't see the Jets double-dipping offensively, uh, especially with Robert Salah as the head coach. So I think they're going Jason Oa out of Penn State as, as an edge position. I think that that could desperately help out that line as they do need a tremendous amount of help. Um, adding Carl Lawson, uh, helping to get to the quarterback. I think Jason O is another fantastic player that will help this defensive line and be easily worked in a two-a defensive-minded coach's situation. 
Um, so I see them going defense here, Jason Owa. James, who do you got? Doing defense, Kawat, Pei, a defensive lineman. Yeah, all right, Pei, yep, we all have um, edge rushers going there, defensive linemen. I have another one as well. Remember, this pick was acquired via the Jamal Adams trade. So this was originally Seattle's pick, as the Seahawks do not have a first-round pick this year due to that. I have... Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa going to the New York Jets, 23rd overall, edge rusher out of Notre Dame. This guy can. This guy is a hybrid type of player. He can actually play linebacker as well. He can play inside linebacker. He plays a little safety. He's a hybrid player. You can send him off the edge. You can do a little bit of everything with him. He's, the, he's a good reason why Notre Dame was able to beat Clemson once this year in overtime. He was a big part of that win for the Fighting Irish, and I think Owusu-Karamoa – can bring some good energy to the Jets defensively, a team that already went out and got a guy like Carl Lawson and Vinnie Curry in free agency. And Tom has a comment for his Jets. Let's pin that. Kadarius Tony. I like him out of Florida a lot, Tom. Maybe, um, actually. I think he could fall to the second round, though. Like early second round, you guys can pick him up. Yeah. Or Rondale Moore out of Purdue. One of those guys can go early second to the Jets. Pratt on last year of his deal. Yeah. No, that's true. And you guys signed Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, I believe was a second-round pick last yeah, year. Yeah, last first. year at a Baylor. Yeah. Yeah, so I could. I don't think they're going receiver there, but I wouldn't be shocked if Tony is, is an option. I'd say, you know, he could be an option there. All right. Pittsburgh Steelers. Also, the Jets could potentially go ETN at running back because I think right now their top back is Tevin Coleman on their depth chart, but uh, they still have to address that. Maybe they do that early on in the second round. Let's see. Yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers, James, you're up. Well, Tom, uh, I have the Steelers taking Eaton. 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 ETN, yeah. ETN. Um, they, they need a running back, as we saw last season. It wasn't – you know, there was no – spark back there yeah you had a few guys but there was nothing big so i think they go back to eating multi-talented weapons so kyle who do you got i got them drafting Najee harris the running back at alabama I, I i think that Najee harris might be the better back in this situation uh, the steels are in an interesting predicament where they could really go a lot of places losing a top pass rusher losing a bunch of their offensive linemen but Ben Roethlisberger is re-upping one more year, probably the last year, 39 years old, and he has no run game. And if you want to run an offense with a 39-year-old quarterback throwing the ball 40 times a game, it's not going to be successful. And I don't think they're bringing back James Conner. So got to draft the back here, and I think why not go with Najee Harris? John has a comment. Steelers need a quarterback, offensive tackle, running back, and corner. I agree. I don't think this is the year – that they take a quarterback, I don't think they're in a position to trade up either. Um, nope. Maybe Mac Jones, but I think that's far-fetched. I think you're looking more at a guy like a Kellen Mond or a Kyle Trask, if anything. But yeah. I have the Steelers also taking Najee Harris, running back out of Alabama. I think this is a good spot for him to go. The Steelers need a running back. I think James Conner is a free agent, so yeah. I, and he's not coming back. They're not going to run with Benny Snell as the number one back. Najee Harris is a perfect running back. 
Prop, they did lose a lot of offensive linemen as well. Villanueva is a free agent. They lost Matt Filer to the Chargers, so they have to rebuild that area of their team as well. So, yeah, I see Harris being the running back in Pittsburgh. What about OF from Penn State as an edge for the Steelers? I could see that too. I mean, you do have – you still have TJ Watt, but, yeah, they could use a complimentary edge since they lost Dupree. Sal. Steelers will be a project this year, by the way. Braves lost again, 0-4. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Sal. That put a smile on my face. Thank you. Jacksonville. This was a pick acquired via the Jalen Ramsey deal. Kyle Russo. I have them going Trayvon Mowringer. Mowring, I believe that's how it's pronounced, yeah, at a TCU at the safety position. Again, they need to desperately uh, – revitalize that defense, which was once upon a time, Saxonville is now a, a, a abysmal of a defense, and I think that they go here with their second pick in the first round and address that defense. I like it. James? I'm going wide receiver, Randall Moore out of Purdue. So. That's a good one, too. They, they could get some receiver help. So, yes, they did draft LaVishka Chenault last year. I believe they went out and acquired Marvin Jones, if I'm not mistaken, and then they, they they lost Keelan Cole. Trevor Lawrence is coming in. I think they're going to go out and get Kadarius Toney, wide receiver out of Florida, again. Um, I think this move makes a lot of sense. The Jaguars did go out and get Rayshon Jenkins at safety. They could use another safety in Mo, in Mo Rig, as Kyle mentioned. But I think Kadarius Toney is the move for them here. You want to get Lawrence weapons, and I think that is the guy that they take at number 25. John has a comment. Uh, oh, he just kind of backed up what I said there. There's not much yeah. depth behind him. Agree. Morig is the best one available. I think it's Morig or Tony for me. I, I kind of flip back and forth on him. But remember, the top safety from last year's draft didn't go until round two. He fell into the lap of the Giants. So, uh, you know, that'll be interesting to see too, Xavier McKinney. But uh, let's move on to the Browns. Um. I'll go. I'll, I'll go first. I have Quidi okay. Pay going here. They the Browns desperately need improvement upon that defensive line. Uh, they have Sheldon Richardson, who's been great for them. Miles Garrett, obviously one of the best edge rushers in football. And I need and I think that they need somebody to line up the opposite side uh, of Miles Garrett. Drafting Quidi Pay, we saw they address, uh, address the secondary, bringing in a, uh, a Troy Hill and a John Johnson. Denzel Ward is coming back healthy. Grant Delpit will come back healthy, so the secondary is fine. The defensive line was really a sticking point for me, and that's why I have them going quietly pay here at number 26. Love that. I got Parsons, a linebacker out of Penn State. Wow, so you got Parsons dipping down to yeah. number 26 in Let's the first go, yeah. round. You know, James, you always, you always do these things, man, and then it happens. So it's like you can't even argue. There's not even an argument because these these random point. these random things happen. It's not necessarily far fetched either. He can drop. He really no. Can. He can definitely drop. But there's yeah. No, but to, to to go from top ten ranking projections all the way down to maybe out of the first round, James is saying it, man. You know, don't put your money on me. Put it it's on James. Kind of- it's kind of like Mac Jones. He can go third. He can go 15th. He can go 19th. I mean, it's apples and oranges here. So, Kyle, Tommy wants you to bring back the cool lights. 
of a cool light. Let me see if I'm going, going for Tommy. Let me see if I can get him going. All right. Um, there, we see this oh, there we go. All I right. Think, there you go. There it is. There it is. Um, I think I'm up for Cleveland now, and yep. I'm going to go with Gregory Rousseau, edge out of Miami. I think he drops late into the first round. As Kyle mentioned, they need an edge rusher. I just think they're taking a different one here. I think he'll be a good piece opposite of Miles Garrett. As I think the Browns signed McKinley in free agency from the Atlanta Falcons, but I don't think he's the long-term answer for them. I think Rousseau is a guy they can build around and help that Browns defense be very stout. I also would not be surprised if they took a linebacker there as well because I don't like Taki Taki starting inside next to B.J. Goodson. So, But, yeah, I have them taking edge rusher Gregory Rousseau, like which leads. Which leads us to the Baltimore Ravens. Fonz is real team, the Baltimore real Ravens, team. number 27 overall. And I'll go first for this one. I have them taking, I was actually texting with Fonz about this today. Fonz says they have to take a wide receiver in round one, and I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to take Terrace Marshall Jr., a wide receiver out of LSU. Uh, this is a guy who was really good this season for LSU. I think. Lamar Jackson needs another wide receiver. Hollywood Brown is decent. Uh, Miles Boykin hasn't really panned out. I know they went out and signed Sammy Watkins. I view him as more of a two. He's probably going to be a three if they draft Marshall. So I think that that's the way they have to go. You have Mark Andrews. I mean, you have Nick Boy. You have you have tight ends. You have running backs. You need a wide receiver and you need linemen. But here, I think they're going receiver. Tom, I agree with you. Uh, 100%. Even on the player, Terrace Marshall Jr. Uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. Going here at number 27 on the Ravens. They, in order to truly see the potential in which Lamar Jackson has, you have to give him the receivers necessary in order to be a solid quarterback in this league. And Lamar Jackson, since entering the league, has not had a not had a receiver to eclipse 800 yards receiving. Uh, Marquise Brown cannot be that number one guy. They signed Sammy Watkins in the offseason, but I don't know if he could be the number one guy. Terrace Marshall Jr. at, at this 27 spot, one of the best receivers left at this point in time, I think so. That can be a guy that can develop around a Lamar Jackson for the future. James. I'm going with uh, Tom, who you picked for the Browns. I'm flipping them. He's going down a spot. Um, so they need an edge guy, in my opinion. Yeah, they could use an edge as well. I know they brought back Pernell McPhee. Uh, they did lose um, – Who they, they lost a big guy to the Patriots. What's his name? Um, I don't remember. They they lost an edge rusher to the Patriots. Fonz would know him. You guys know who I'm talking about. He, I'm trying to think. Edge rusher to the Patriots. Yeah, they, they lost the pretty oh, big Oh, Matt player. Judon, Judon. Yeah, Judon. Yeah. They lost him. Yeah, thank, thanks, Tom. Yeah, they lost him to the Patriots, so they had they do need to replace him, so that could be an option. But, yeah, I have them going receiver. Steve agrees. Baltimore definitely needs an outside receiver threat. Marshall would be a nice pick. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. All right, guys, so we have five more picks. New Orleans Saints clock in at number 28. James, I'll let you go first here. Who do you have? Zane Collins out of Tulsa. He's a linebacker. Zayvon Collins. Okay. Zaylen Collins, yeah. Kyle, who do you got? I have uh, Asante Samuel uh, replacing uh, 
Janoris Shanks at the cornerback position stay stacked on the defense. Uh, the Saints really have everything right except for that one secondary corner position uh, alongside Marshawn Lattimore. So I think that's the way in which they go, and I think they draft Asante Samuel out of FSU um, right here with that 28th overall pick. Those are two holes that they have. They also have a third, and it's on their defensive line. I get it. They lost Jenkins. They lost Alex Anzalone. I mean, those were a couple of big losses for them. But they also lost Sheldon Rankins and Trey Hendrickson. Those are two big hogs up front that running backs fear, that quarterbacks fear. I think they're replacing him with the top DT in this draft who finally falls off my board out of Alabama, Christian Barmore. I think he's the pick here for the New Orleans Saints. He lost Rankins to the Jets. You lost Hendrickson to the Bengals. It's time to replace those guys, and Barmore is a beautiful option if he falls into your lap at 28, and I think he will. So Barmore to the Saints for me, and we move on to the Green Bay Packers. This was an Jalen Phillips. Yeah, this was Jones. an interesting one. I I didn't have trouble doing this. I just I, I threw a bone their way because I just can't imagine they go another year not helping out Aaron Rodgers. But I have them drafting Rondell Moore, a wide receiver. They they desperately need help. Uh, they have Devontae Adams, but after that, it's a significant drop off to Aquamia St. Brown. Alan Lazard, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they need a solid number two, and I think Rondell Moore can help them a lot. Yeah, I mean, Rondell Moore can help them a lot. They do need wide receiver help. I actually have them going with linebacker Zavin Collins here out of Tulsa. They have Ty Summers. You know, they're kind of weak at that position. They lost Christian Kirksey this year. They lost Blake Martinez last year. They haven't really filled that void. They lack in pass coverage. So I think Zavin Collins is the pick there, linebacker out of Tulsa. I'm going with uh, Carlos Bastian Jr. out of Wake Forest. Edge. Do we have some salt in the comment section? Look at Tommy. Look at Tommy. <laughs> Tommy, I don't disagree with you. I was looking back at it, and I'm like, you know what? The Cardinals really could have used the secondary corner as well. Then uh, maybe draft Patrick Sertain there at the number 16 spot. I still stand by my word. I think he might have fallen to that number third corner spot over uh, below J.C. Horn and Caleb Farley. Um, maybe not all the way to 20, but maybe 16. But I'd still keep the corners at the positions and teams in which I drafted them at. But uh, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Gotcha. Listen, so, that's why we. this is only mock number one. We got mock number two coming in a couple of weeks. I, I got Sertan in my top ten. I don't, I don't know why he's sitting there at 20 for you, but to each their own. <laughs> to each their own. Three, three more to go. It's the Buffalo Bills, the real New York football team. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, they yeah. made the AFC championship game this past year, and James, I'll let you swing away. Tom, I'm picking one of your guys, Notre Dame, a linebacker. Can you guess who it is? Uh, the name that was tough for everybody to pronounce. But Tom, it, has to a, it has to be a Wusu Karamoa. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So, I, I, I could see it. I don't yeah. think he dips that far, but I, I, I could see it. Bills Tyson Campbell from UGA, if he's still there, if – uh, seems like Trey White is the main corner, but who else they have? Taron Johnson only has one more year on his contract, need replacement for the long term. John, while I don't disagree with you, I think they need a star edge rusher 
and Jalen Phillips has fallen down on my board and he's moved up people's mock drafts. And I think the bills are in a prime uh, position to select him at the 30th overall pick. So that's who I have them taking. Same. I have Jalen Phillips going to the bills. They need to improve their edge rusher position. Trent Murphy is an older player. Jerry Hughes is an older player. That was one thing that they lacked last year. They couldn't get to the quarterback. They're, the best part of their defense was their linebacking core. They had Matt Milano, their secondary with Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. You have Ed Oliver in the trenches defensively, but their edge rushers are getting older. They need a younger one. Jalen Phillips is an excellent option for them at number 30 if he's there, and I think he will be. All right, last two, Kansas City Chiefs, number 31. Kyle, who do you have going? To the Midwest, I have tackle Walker Little going to the Chiefs. The Chiefs desperately need to improve upon that offensive line. We saw that um, obviously in the Super Bowl, let going, uh, letting go of Mitchell Schwartz and longtime Chiefs player Eric Fisher. They bring in Joe Thune, but tackles are very, very important in this league, as we know. And I think that they go Walker Little here to try and improve upon that offensive line. I like it. I like it a lot. They need a they need a tackle. They lost both of them, and they're they haven't replaced their center yet either. So, nope. James Barmore, defensive lineman out of Alabama. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could see that they have Nandi in there. They just lost passing Young. They still they have Chris Jones. They picked up Jaron Reed, though. They did. Yeah. I mean, I don't Pick see. I mean. Deputies. I don't know if Barmore goes there, but he could he could land there if all their other options are gone. Uh, I have Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Is anyone surprised? Uh, cracking, the first tackle, round. cracking the back end of the first round. He's probably going early second, but something tells me the Chiefs are going to take him here at number 31. Liam Eichenberg had 33 reps, bench reps. Strong that guy. is the – that is the most out of all the offensive linemen drafted in the first round since 2014. The closest was Austin Jackson last year, who had 27 bench reps. That mm-hmm. was six less than Liam Eichenberg. This guy's a three-year starter at Notre Dame. He's an outstanding talent. He's a captain of the team. He is exactly what Kansas City needs at left tackle. He's really, really good at run blocking. And he's really good at finishing blocks as well. So I have Liam Eikenberg going to the Kansas City Chiefs out of Notre Dame. like it. Yeah. Um, last one, Tampa Bay, 32. Uh, James, you get to go first here. Oh, I do. All righty. As my friend Nick Tonks would say, they're about to do something monumental. Um, they're going offensive line out of Michigan. Jalen Mayfield. Okay. All right. Okay. Not too sure if that's too monumental. But, you know. Listen, we didn't think Tristan Worse was too monumental, and he was the best PFF player in the Super Bowl. So That's true. Could very well be the case. Some love for the offensive linemen. Who you got, Kyle? At number 32, I have them drafting running back out of Clemson, Travis Etienne. Uh, bring back Leonard Fournette on a one-year deal. Question marks with Ronald Jones as he kind of slid out of the lineup uh, as the season progressed in the latter part of the season last year. So I think that they're going to look to bring in a guy that they don't have to pay for a long time because Ronald Jones is up for a contract soon and 
Leonard Williams only coming back on basically a one-year proven deal. They could bring in Travis Etienne as a nice uh, starting linebacker or secondary linebacker behind either one of those guys and have him solidified and signed up for the next three, four years without having to pay him. So I think that's where they go. Yeah, I like that. I think they can go they can go with ETN for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because they do run that 3-4 scheme. They have, you know, a, a good pair in Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett on their edge. Um, you know, they could use they could use a running back. I don't know if ETN is going there. I have them taking Aziz Ojalari and Edge out of Georgia. This gives them a lot of depth. If they're going to win another championship this year, they're going to have to do what they did again. I know they have Devin White and those two, but why not add an, another one? I do I, I do feel like Ronald Jones has a chance to develop. Uh, Trask, keep him in Florida. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe he could be a potential replacement for Tom Brady, but Tom Brady seems to uh, never go. So, yeah, and Steve has a comment. I could see Arians taking ETN. He's along the lines of some of the other running backs he had with the Cardinals. That's a really good point. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, yeah for me, it was between ETN and Ajalari for the Bucks. I thought ETN might have been a pick for Buffalo, but I feel like he's going to go early in the second round. I just I'm not so sure Tampa Bay is going to take him, but we'll see. They might. That would have been my option D for Tampa Bay. But, guys, that wraps up our NFL mock draft 1.0. Our first one. What do you guys think? I mean, I I think we did a good job. I think we had a few outliers out there. But, overall, this was was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Definitely a success. Guys, speaking of our draft, a quick reminder to sign up for our 2021 NFL Draft Video Challenge. What this is, you record yourself reacting to your favorite team making their first-round selection. You send it over to us, and we will publish it on our social media. People who participate, some of the best ones, will be featured in a video later on and a few weeks after the draft. And, um, yeah, and some of the best ones also, we could potentially get a guest appearance on Review Preview. We'd love to talk to you guys, interview you guys. And, uh, Steve, I missed who you had the Giants taking. Well, um, I think Kyle and I both had Waddle. James had Slater. James had Slater. I do think they can go edge here at number 11. I just feel like it's kind of a reach, and the Giants are probably going to go best player available. As crazy as it sounds to take a, a wide receiver, I feel like if Parsons isn't there, if um, Smith isn't there, I, I just think they're they're going to take best player available. And I, I don't think Smith is going to drop as far as people think. So uh, we got two Waddles and Slater for now. But that may change as we get closer. All right, guys. So. On behalf of James Montefusco, Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. Have a good evening, everybody. Thank you very, thank you all very much for watching. And you've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Have a good night, everybody.